Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No hey, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. Happy to welcome Tom King back for another edition of the King's Speech. Wow, we picked an interesting day. Uh, the death of Joel Schumacher, one of the Batman movie directors, has passed away. And uh, Tom has some interesting insight in Joel Schumacher's life and career. Uh, we also talk about the rumors about Michael Keaton possibly coming back to the role of Batman in the DC Cinematic Universe. Uh, some interesting plans that have been uh, laid out. Tom has some insight on that subject as well. Very interesting. Of course, we talk about Strange Adventures, uh, his Adam Strange uh, story, and Mr. Terrific that is uh, currently underway, two issues in, and uh, take a lot of uh, listener questions, viewer questions as well, I suppose, because uh, this was uh, a YouTube uh, Q&A that I did last night on Word Balloon Live, and I'm happy to present the audio to you today. Great to uh, catch up with Tom King and uh, do a King speech. As I say in the interview, Tom's been on a lot uh, since the pandemic, but a lot of times it's been in the role of uh, panel discussions. We had a great talk about Columbo with our buddy Mike Cronenberg. We also did a movie trivia contest with the Benson sisters and Tom. So uh, he's been involved in those. But um, I, uh, I did a, a pre-recorded interview with Tom before I started doing uh, live uh, video interviews where uh, people can chime in and ask questions. And uh, so I'm like, hey, you know, let's do this. We're also going to talk with Mitch Garretts and Doc Shaner and do a Strange Adventures conversation on Wednesday night on Word Balloon Live. Be sure to check out uh, that coming up this Wednesday evening. But in the meantime, enjoy this direct conversation with Tom and I, the King's Speech, on today's Word Balloon. Brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, League, for your support via Patreon. Patreon.com slash Word Balloon if you want to join. Word Balloon is free. It'll always be free. I'm happy to share and build the audience uh, with this free information. But if you want to help the cause out, if you can, I know uh, that uh, economic times are tough for all of us, please support the program and subscribe to Word Balloon via Patreon. If you think it's worth a dollar a month, is it worth the price of a comic book a month to you? If you think so, if you can swing it, that would be great and it's greatly appreciated. Patreon.com slash Word Balloon. Word Balloon is also brought to you by Aftershock Comics. And this Wednesday, you will see the debut of SOS, Save Our Shops, a very interesting anthology uh, created by Aftershock and Joe Pruitt uh, that features uh, great stories from Cullen Bunn and uh, Jerry Ordway 
and uh, Stephanie Phillips and Zach Thompson, among others. Uh, it's a really interesting anthology that is made to support the shops, and uh, it's going to be hitting stores on Wednesday, but also will be available throughout the summer. So if your store doesn't have it, we all suggest that you uh, contact Aftershock Comics, talk to your store, and have them order the book. Uh, the book is subject to the shop's decision of how they want to price the book because it's uh, something that they can either set a price for themselves or add it uh, to uh, make it a premium for people that you know have a pull list of so many books or more. It's really up to the shop. So if you don't see it on Wednesday, tomorrow, in your local shop, we suggest you contact your local shop and get with Aftershock and uh, see what they can do about ordering you a copy. Go to their website. You'll find full story descriptions, preview pages of art, and the diamond coats on our order of that book and more Aftershock books for, your th for your local shop at aftershockcomics.com. All right, let's get into it now. A really fun conversation with Tom King. It always is. And, uh, man, he's always incredibly generous with his time. And it's uh, fun to hang out and uh, do a new King Speech Q&A. Tom King on today's Word Balloon. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. We're going to be talking to Tom King tonight. Uh, we're, of course, Strange Adventures has uh, just begun. Uh, it's two issues in. But uh, also a lot of Batman news today. Some sad Batman news. The loss of uh, Joel Schumacher, the director, who I know uh, is a, uh, I wouldn't say controversial, but certainly somebody that uh, some people obviously aren't crazy about. All the Schumacher movies. Uh, I'll argue for uh, Batman Forever. I think it's a decent movie. Uh, it has its flaws, but I think it's pretty cool. And I look forward to hearing what Tom has to say about that. Uh, also, big rumors, Michael Keaton uh, in talks to possibly be part of the new DC Universe. Uh, rumors about him appearing in the Flash movie that's coming out in 2022 as an older Bruce Wayne. Very intriguing and kind of a, I don't know how you would describe it. Uh, you know, uh, they've made allusions to Nick Fury and Agent Coulson as far as characters in the Marvel Universe. And uh, we'll see. We'll see. But uh, I see that uh, my, my uh, cohort is ready to go, so I'm going to pop him into the screen right now as soon as he adjusts his fine uh, Washington Nationals cap. It looks like he's ready. There he is. Oh. It's Tom King, everybody. Welcome, Tom. Hello. Hello, Hello yeah. listeners. Good to see you, buddy. Thank you for coming out on this beautiful Monday night. Indeed, and they're coming out in droves as well. God, we've already got comments and questions, oh. so uh, that's great to see. But, um, you know, let's see. I mean, uh, I, I have already started, Tom, in terms of some of the uh, news that came out today. And uh, we can start with the rumor, of course, that uh, Michael Keaton is in talks to maybe uh, reprise the role of uh, Bruce Wayne in the DC Cinematic Universe, which I think is terrific. And I'm sure you have uh, thoughts on that. I mean, we've got no information. It's still, you know, right now, possibly a rumor, possibly a negotiator, or maybe you do know something. I don't know. I have inside information on this subject, which I will not share with any of you people. So, because I don't want to get shot. I assume DC hires assassins. Uh, I think that statement in itself uh, says that it's a lot more realistic than uh, just a rumor, which is great. Uh, yes. Yeah, so I talked way back. My, how long ago was this? It must have been Baltimore Comic Con about sort of the the plan for the whole DC universe. You know, because I'm doing the the, uh, the New Gods movie, obviously. Um, Certainly. Very slowly. Everything in Hollywood is slower these days, obviously, for many reasons. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so I know the plan. So when I saw this news or this rumor, I can say it did not surprise me. Interesting. And, uh, and I, and I, and I, 
I highly, I mean, look, this is this is the most no-brainer anyone's ever no-brained. Uh, if any, you ask uh, ten DC writers, nine and a half of them will say that right now they should make the Dark Knight Returns with Michael Keaton as Batman. I think every, I <laughs> like that's just the universal opinion among writers. Uh, so the least controversial thing I'll ever say is this is a fantastic idea. And hopefully it's the beginning of something if it is just part of a movie that it's sort of a lo- maybe a launching pad for him. And and really opens a lot of uh, doors. Batman Beyond certainly yeah. can, is a realistic thing that you can consider. And I know uh, that there's a Batgirl movie in development. And again, in a mentorship sort of role, you could see, you could see that working. Plus he's in great shape for his age. So, you know, I, I think I think it would be cool. Look at Chaos in Comics. Can you put on a Dodger hat and be your true self? Hilarious. Oh, I grew up as a kid Dodger fan. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm Los Angeles born and raised. So I, I feel you. I watched Kirk Gibson on the TV uh, hit the famous home run, and it's the, still the greatest sports moment I've ever witnessed live. And I'm still a diehard Lakers fan. I know you'll, everyone will hate me for that. That's but I have, I have switched teams to my local Nets who actually have their own problems that I would complain about if in, in a more political podcast. But for now, I'll keep this on so people will assume I'm not bald. But my wife did my hair yesterday, so I look pretty good. I'm you good. look really good. I got to uh, I got to hit the uh, uh, barber this week. They have reopened, and I just haven't made time to uh, to have it happen and everything. But uh, no, I you know um, it's cool that I think Crisis on Infinite Earths and 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 for that matter, Endgame has kind of explained alternate universes to a, more, a wider audience. And um, God, if anything, I think the dress rehearsal for this is uh, both, um, why am I blanking now, uh, Superman, but Brandon Routh coming back and, and really legitimizing his Superman even more, I think, with his performance in Crisis. And Kevin Conroy was just fantastic as an evil Bruce Wayne in the in the crossover this year. So... I think all of that really does, you know, and again, I mean, God, also the idea that, um, um, Jesus, man, I am like no names uh, tonight. Uh, <laughs> cinematic. You're no names. We're going to be here all night. Being like, I know. Remember cinematic. that guy from that show? Oh, yeah. Cinematic Flash. Um, Ezra, Ezra Miller. Oh, yeah, Ezra Miller. Yeah. Ezra Miller uh, showing up in the crisis as well with uh, Grant. I think that that was pretty cool. So, yeah, I mean, I, that's the book is open. And I think, and, and again, I think enough fans get it. And the idea of alternate universes isn't just a nerd thing. I um, I think this the, the 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 great strength and great weakness of DC is their um, uh, the, whatever the good word is for fucked up continuity. Their continuity is so fucking screwed up. It's it's just it's a terrible unweaving that because um, and I, I've been listening to your. Uh, um, uh, uh, Denny O'Neill pod- podcast over the last weekend. I listened to like six hours of you talking with Denny oh, O'Neill. Absolutely amazing. I'm sure we'll talk about that later. Yeah. But uh, one of the things he said, which which I had to remember, was that like basically, in his opinion, continuity in the DC Universe didn't exist for the first 40 years. It was Batman had a continuity, Superman had a continuity, Robert Kaniger had a continuity, Julie Schwartz had a continuity. And then we had to sort of go in afterwards that that, that second sort of generation, that Len Wein, that... Um, Marv Wolfman was like, oh, these all actually string together. And the way they string together is uh, the multiverse, you know? <laughs> like, and we've been sort of t- tap dancing for the last 40 years with that concept. But 
that's that terrible weakness that you can't sort of draw a straight line between things in the DC universe to say this goes here and that goes there. But it's also a terrible strength because now the DC universe can be many things at once because it's always been many things at once. You know, DKR has always existed while Batman existed. And oh, of course. And uh, so I think that part of the DCU is something we can't be scared of and have to embrace. And I think it gives it gives the DC movie universe something that the Marvel universe doesn't have, which is um, that it can go anywhere and everywhere and that, that everything you've seen can be part of it. So I, I, it, it, it's fucked in like the best way. <laughs> I agree, and uh, yeah, this is this. I think this is really exciting. Uh, we also, uh, well, here let's. Should I look at some comments about uh, the potential of Keaton? Uh, let's see what we've got. I just watched 1989 with my children. How they uh, now again remind everyone your kids' ages. My kids are six. Uh, 10 and 11. Sorry, they just changed. Oh, wow. I always okay. say that. Yeah, 6, 6, 10, and 11, uh, which is 11 is how old I believe I was when I saw it in 80. No, it's a little, yeah, it's almost exactly my age, 89. Oh, I'm so old, John. Oh. Uh, and they loved it. They were all in. They they were scared by the Joker at the right parts. They were thrilled by the Batman. Uh, they laughed at some of the special effects, which seem weird to them now uh, in the age of computers and CGIs. Oh, interesting. But, uh, but besides that, they were just totally focused and in love with him. So was I. I, I had, there were things I didn't like. I didn't remember how scary the Jack Joker was. I think of him as more like a cartoon in retrospect. But he's legit scary, and and that the romance and that really works. And there's there's genuine chemistry between Vicky Vale uh, and Bruce Wayne. And yeah, I I, I dug that movie. And I, Keaton's always been my favorite. I know whoever's your Batman when you're 12 is your Batman for life. That's just a fact. Oh, that yeah, that's true. I'm with yeah. you on that, sure. And so he's he's my he he he's mine, and I and uh, and he's just an incredible actor who's aged well. Uh, I mean, too. he's certainly one of the best graduates of the Mister Rogers show to uh, to play Batman. I, <laughs> I, uh, I really also always liked the awkwardness that he portrayed as Bruce Wayne. Yes, and that, you know he just wasn't comfortable being Bruce Wayne and stuff. And God, the the big party scene is hilarious with. Um, Robert Wool and, and Kim Basinger and and of course the dynamic between him and uh, was it Michael Conley who played Alfred? I forget the actor's name. I forget him, but there was it was perfect. It was uh, just what you want. Exactly, man, no, draw, you know, you know, definitely a comedy team. It, it's what's amazing about the movie in retrospect. Looking, I guess I always look back, but there is I think of him as such a great Bruce Wayne. He's Bruce Wayne screen time for me six minutes of that movie. Like there's the one scene in the party and then there's the one scene where they have dinner and then there's the one scene where they kind of wake up after sex. And that's basically the whole, that's it. He gets three scenes as Bruce Wayne. Well, he, he revisits Crime Alley and he's yeah. in the Batcave. But he revisits like of, through a camera, like you can barely see him. Yeah, it's like second. Well, and, and then also uh, when he's watching the Joker's uh, uh, TV announcements and stuff and he has the flashback. Yeah, to watching yeah, his parents funny. die and everything. Um, yeah, I mean, I just um, no, I really, I really bought Keaton in the role. And God, man, I'll tell you, Batman Returns is a to me a flawed movie, and it's a shame. Too many villains, to be honest, in my opinion, they really both great, be. both great. They could have each gotten their own movie. I feel like. well, I would say three if you even include uh, Walken, Walken, yeah. Walken as well. But I love that last scene with uh, Selena Kyle and he just rips the mask off and he's like, let's just go home. Like, <laughs> let's use like, it's great. It really is disarming. And, and as a, 
a man that has been playing with uh, the uh, Selena Bruce uh, relationship and stuff. I really do. I, I really love that in terms of like he just gets real with her. And it's just like, come on, we don't need this. My my top five, I mean, it must be probably top ten favorite movie lines for me is when they're dancing and they realize who they both are and like, do we have to fight now? I think that's just, whenever I wrote Catwoman Batman, I was trying to get to that, the, do we have to fight now? Like, when we know who we truly are, but we're yes. still in love with each other, is this the time that we have to have conflict? Yeah, it's yeah. It's, it's, it's funny. Michael Keaton's Bruce Wayne is a weird, is a weird dude because he plays it very much like a blue collar guy who got dropped in a rich dude's life and doesn't kind of understand how he got there, which is, which is unique to sort of, you know, like I had a scene with Bruce Wayne where he cuts a hamburger with a, with a, with a fork and a knife. And they're like, that's Mr. Raised by the Butler, which is probably more true to like his origin is sort of being the son of a billionaire doc when a doctor was the billionaire in the world, a billionaire doctor. (laughs) Was it Martha's money? Uh, That's always kind of been an interesting nugget that some have played with before. Because, you know, you're right. I mean, Thomas Wayne was a doctor. I mean, he was a philanthropic doctor, but, you know. I think they've said he had family money, and then, you know, there's been a lot of stuff with – there's a lot of conflicting stuff here. Well, that's true. Wayne Manor and and, and the connection, too, to uh, mad Anthony Wayne from the Revolutionary War. And they have established that Martha Wayne was Jewish. And as a half-Jewish man myself, whose mother is Jewish and father is Christian, I appreciate that. That's cool. Had no idea. That's fantastic. I love that. Oh, Brock Sager. Yeah, the let's get crazy scene. Oh, yeah. yeah. No. Let's get nuts. You want to get nuts? Any, any scene in any iteration where Bruce lets the mask slip and he's still in plain clothes, but he's Batman, even as I've said before a million times in the in the Adam West uh, movie, <laughs> when he just starts fighting the, you know, you cowards, and they, <laughs> and, they, and they go into the fight music and stuff, and it's like, yeah, man, go, because that's awesome, because that's like really like the most heroic Bruce Wayne moment you see on uh, Adam West. And it's like, yeah, he could do it. That's cool. So I always say that's like, he could, as, as much as I'm against an American James Bond, I'm like, yeah, he could have done it. It would have <laughs> been, you know, it would have been probably Lazenby level, but, but that's okay for the time. <laughs> that's not bad. Lazenby's not bad. Lazenby level. Exactly. <laughs> what else do we get? Oh, let's see. Oh yeah. Keaton from the other guys is the best. Was it? No, the dream team. I think is what he's thinking of, right? Is there another movie? Because I think he means the dream team with Christopher Lloyd, uh, Peter Boyle, and uh, are they are they robbing someone or they're milkmen or something? Or no, they're crazy. They're crazy. Oh, they break out of the insane asylum. Well, they don't break out, but they go to a ball game and their doctor gets mugged, so they're on their own, and they gotta and and the you know they gotta find the doctor and and keep it together and stuff and kind of survive New York on their own when they're all completely insane. I think it's a very funny movie. <laughs> That's a very Bruce Wayne moment. <laughs> he <breaks out. laughs> we should do that. Him and Clark Kent are just like, hey, we were in insane asylum the whole time. It's true. Uh, very funny. So, uh, but yeah, so uh, what about what about Schumacher? Uh, the passing of, uh, you know, Joel Schumacher. Again, I, I was just saying before you popped on, I think uh, the, people are at best divided about his Batman films. A lot of other great films. Who was on the other side of that? Tell me. No, but who? Who? uh, No, nobody thinks they're good films. People think they're distinct films. They are distinct. I like Batman Forever, even though it has a ton of flaws. I liked it at the time. I saw it in the. I mean, everybody saw it in the theaters, but I did see it in the theaters and thought at the time I was like, "Damn, Jim Carrey killed it." And uh, poor Tommy Lee Jones. But you know, but it was well, it was a waste of Tommy Lee Jones. I mean, again. 
I really felt gung-ho. <laughs> okay. And unfortunately, a little culturally inappropriate these days. I laughed at the movie back in the day, but I bet you that's uh, one that uh, people be like, uh, I don't know. I think it needs a disclaimer right now. Um, you know. As a child, well, child, so I was 13 or 14, but as a child, I hated Joel Schumacher with all the hatreds a 14-year-old can put into his fanboy base. Because to me, um, Batman, the first two movies were what I wanted superheroes to be. It was taking them seriously as a seriously as I took them. Sure. And it was, it was dragging them away from the camp. And we were like, yes, finally. Because, you know, we grew up in the era of everything's bang pop and you're very much ashamed to read comics and comics were always like, we're like, ah, there, Batman, everyone likes that. And then Schumacher went back and put the camp back in. Yep. Um, which always, which, you know, there's lots of records that that wasn't exactly his choice. And that was, you know, sort of forced upon him in terms of. There's a great, uh, uh, regarding that, there's a great Fresh Air interview he did with Terry Gross. And he says more so about Batman and Robin that somebody would walk in with a prototype of a toy and they'd be like, yeah, we need a scene where this is there because we want to sell these toys. I mean, obviously because of the merchandising bonanza that uh, the Batman movies represented and stuff, they were very savvy about product placement and, and uh, creating, creating toys and stuff. And unfortunately they spent a lot more time on that rather than the movie. Hello, Dean Haspiel. Always hey, Dean, freaking genius. We love you. Dean is on, you know, we're eventually going to talk about Denny O'Neill. And I know Dean has a lot of great memories because he was an assistant at Denny's uh, studio. Oh, and I look forward to uh, when uh, Dean will be on uh, Word Balloon Live and we'll be uh, talking about that. But for Schumacher, for ba Batman Forever, I think Chris O'Donnell was really good as Robin. I really think his whole arc was legitimate in the first movie he was in. Of course, things fell apart in the Clooney movie. But, um, and I liked Val Kilmer. I thought Val Kilmer was a very solid Batman. I'm sorry, I missed him at Terrificon. I was, I mean, I, I remember, I, I was just the age where I was Robin obsessed back then, and Tim had just become the cool Robin with the stick, and all those Jim Aparo comics, and I was sort of just, I remember being disappointed because he was just a little too old and a little not. I mean, that okay. actor, he, he's a lot of things, but he's not cool. <laughs> you know, like I don't, I would I never describe him as, as cool. But I, I feel like I'm shitting on it, but I want this is all to no, put a butt in. It's your everything. opinion. That's okay. You're oh, wrong, but that's okay. That's I, I like, whoa. It's all right. It's fighting, it's fighting time now. Uh, Absolutely. Um, uh, so at the time, I was very anti uh, Schumacher, and my, but my mother was a Warner Brothers executive. And uh, so she was dealing with him. And of course, there was a t she um, was the head of the department that did like VHS and stuff, the home video department. Yeah. Where she was like second in command then. So she was dealing with Schumacher a lot and described him as just the gentleman's gentleman, as a oh, guy who was just incredibly nice and made things work so smoothly. And uh, so I would sit there and I'd get entertained weekly and I'd rail against him. My mother would like very politely correct me and be like, don't, don't, no, don't. This is a very nice man um, who's doing his best to make a really a good movie. I, I very much remember her saying like how much she respected him as, as just as a colleague to work with. Um, and, and yeah, he made incredible movies, um, both before and after. And and living as a as an openly uh, gay man in Hollywood is not the easiest thing to do. And he's a pioneer in that in that aspect. And we get I did not know he was gay. That's great to hear, and that's that's excellent because he was a significant director and, and quite a successful one. So that's cool to hear. And uh, yeah, and I, yeah, I mean, I, I and then he did look. If you're going to fail. Like make something that's amazing and fucking memorable. Like I, I haven't seen Batman 
those two last two bad moments in, in 20 years, but I could tell you scene by scene that they happened. And so, I mean, like he made something that's stuck in my head. So I think that's more important. If, if you're going to, if, if, if it, you don't, don't make a good movie, make something that sticks in people's minds and hearts. That's cool. You know, wow. that's brave enough itself. I, I'm a huge fan of Lost Boys. Uh, Dean earlier said Falling Down was more of a Batman movie than any of the Batman movies that Schumacher made. Uh, oh, that's funny, and I agree with you, Brock. Great soundtrack for Batman Forever. And, uh, yeah, Seal. Man, I saw <laughs> Seal live in the 90s. You saw Seal live? Yes. Hunters at a live Seal concert? It was fantastic. It was at the Airy Crown Theater, which was is this beautiful, intimate downtown Chicago stage. It used to be part of McCormick Place. They knocked it down. It no longer exists. But it was fantastic, and really, it felt like a Vegas show. And he was just so perfect. And just such a beautiful voice. And yeah, man, and he did he did a lot of those songs from Batman Forever. It was amazing. And I really, I do, I feel very fortunate having uh, seen Seal live. He was, it was not what I was expecting. It was when I was working at the rock radio station, WXRT, and we had free tickets. And everyone's like, come on, man, it's Seal. When's the next chance you're going to get to see Seal? And uh, yeah, man. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Patrick Schumacher. John lives by the chorus of Seal's crazy. It's true. We're never going to survive until we're a little crazy. You're right about that, Patrick. So, exactly Patrick right. on Twitter, you're going to appreciate this. There's a little tangent. Patrick on Twitter is like, hey, I want to watch a classic movie. Anybody have suggestions? And I was following Patrick's Twitter feed on that. And so many people, I, I only saw one or two films that were older than 1960. Most of them were from the 80s and 90s, what the audience considered classic. And I found that incredibly interesting. So shut up, Alex Chung. No, Seal was not opening for Frank Sinatra. Um. <laughs> oh, wait, Mitch is not here? Oh, yeah, Mitch is already This is Mitch's second comment. I love Bad Company. Um, I, if you're talking about both the band and the film. Wait, I Mitch didn't know is a directed. profile pick? I'm learning all sorts of things. Chris Rock, uh, Bad Company, as I recall, with Anthony Hopkins. Oh, yes, we're going to need you, Mr. Miller, to uh, play your brother. So... Say almost more Jimmy Cagney than actually Anthony Hopkins. I got to work on the. I got to work on the. Uh, I'm walking. If I don't get a good Anthony Hopkins in an interview, I walk. That's like that's in my writer. I don't know if I sent that over. <laughs> let's uh, let's let's talk about the passing of uh, Danny O'Neill. It sucks, man. It's uh, it's it's been less than two weeks, and I'm still incredibly depressed. Um, what a wonderful man, and what a great legacy. And I'm you know, I feel real fortunate that I got a chance to spend a few hours talking to him and then getting to know him a little bit better. Um, your, 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 inter your interviews with Denny are are um, amazing and revealing. If you haven't gone back, listen to those three interviews, uh, especially the third one you posted sort of by itself, which was sort of an exploration where he got very vulnerable um, with you. Um, it's their their um, their comic history, and, and then the, I immediately went out and bought that book. It's um, an interesting book. I felt bad that I hadn't um, bought it before, but as soon as I bought it um, with Mister Mighty or uh, something, I believe. Yeah, the uh, the adventures of Captain Mighty and the yeah. something of Danny the Kid, something. and it's yeah, it's a loose enough, uh, you know, uh, autobiography. A lot of autobiographical points in it. And yeah, that's the uh, the I, I represented my interviews with Denny. Uh, the first was Denny O'Neill the Man. That was about the autobiography and his own life. And then uh, Denny O'Neill the Comics combined my first interview with him in two thousand six and my last interview with him in uh, twenty eighteen. So, um, oh, thanks, Denny. That's very nice. Uh, hearing him talk about the question was amazing. Yeah, I, I mean, I, of course, I, I adore 
the question. Mark Andreco, I got to, to spend an evening with Denny at the Hero Awards in 2018. It was awesome. Yeah, I'm so glad that he was out and around those last couple of years of his life, 2018 and 2019, um, because he had really had bad health for such a long time and also was coming off a really tough car accident that really kind of had him homebound for the first half of 2018, and he lost his wife. I mean, it was just a just a mountain of tragedies in the last couple of years. So I'm glad he got out. I'm glad that people got a chance to see him and tell him how much, uh, you know, we all love him, you know? So did you have a chance to meet him before Tom? I met him three or four times, mostly in a fanboy context. The first time uh, before I sort of broke it into the industry, I might've had one or two gigs at uh, Comic-Con San Diego, 2016 ish, 15 ish. Uh, and probably even earlier than that, 14, 13. And I was walking by with my buddy Chris, and he was all, we just walked by and looked to our left, and there was Danny O'Neill sitting by himself. He had his own little booth and sort of that, that place that's off to the right of Artist Alley. And uh, he looked bored out of his mind, and we went up, and he could not have been kinder and more generous um, with, with just being like, I mean, some of these guys who are sort of too big for their britches, they're like, I don't want to talk about my old hits. I just want you to read my. But he was like, let me tell you about what it was like back then. Let me tell you about this. Let me give you writing tips. And he was just incredibly kind. One of the best sort of just meeting a guy as a fanboy. He signed everything. He was, I I can't speak highly enough. It was, it was, I mean, as as a guy who now does that for a living, he was an example of exactly how to handle just a fan coming up. Cause we were just, you know, total, you know, farleying it. But you remember that time you did that? He's like, yes, of course I remember. It's wonderful. Uh, So that was, that was the first time I encountered him. I, and then besides that, I would meet him sort of in a professional setting where I do sort of the, the thing you do where you meet a legend and you kind of go up to them and say, Oh, I can't believe how much I appreciate everything you've done. And, and they're like, oh, yes, thank you, next in line. And then there's like a line of 50 writers behind you who are saying the same thing. Um, so I, I think I met him in, in that capacity a few times, but not, nothing substantial. My 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 favorite, um, Danny O'Neill, this is a little out of school, but I'm sure I can tell. Uh, my favorite Danny O'Neill story is, uh, uh, I was I'm a little bit of friends with Frank Miller. And, um, and, Frank and Danny go back so many years and, 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 and Danny had edited Frank. And, um, and so I was with, I was, I was with Frank, Frank this is at Comic-Con in 2018 or something. And we were talking cause Danny was supposed to write um, the Batman annuals. My editor called me and said, Danny was in sort of a hard way and he needed um, some, some work. And so we, we, we arranged for him to write Batman annual three. Um, which is a nice paycheck because it's a 38 page issue. So, uh, uh, and so we, we had that and, and he was working and, and I, I, I was with Frank, I was, I was talking to Frank sort of about his career and stuff and he brought up Denny and he brought him up in the way a writer brings up an editor, which is like full of complaints and anger. Not, not, not like actual anger, but like, Oh, that guy, I had to wrestle him and he, I wanted to evolve Batman. He wanted to drain here and I wanted to do this and I wanted, and he would always push me back and he was afraid and I was charging forward. All the stupid things writers say about their editors who always make them better. Uh, and, and, and he went on this long rant and then I was like, Oh yeah, I love that. You know, I'm actually, he's doing this issue for Batman. And, and Frank stopped. He had just gone on like a 15 minute rant about how him and Denny had fought endlessly over Batman. And he stops and he goes, wait, Denny's doing an issue. I'll do the cover. Tell me when it's due. Like he, he's like, I'll, I'll drop everything and do the cover for a comic book, which I haven't done for a Batman comic book in, in 30 years. If Denny's doing the issue, I'll do anything to support that guy. So, I mean, that's the kind of loyalty he had. 
it was just, I mean, I mean Frank, Frank had like tears. He's like, whatever it takes to help Danny, I'll, I'll, I'm there for that guy. He's, he's the number one Batman guy and I want to help him. Um, yeah. You know, uh, and Andy, I appreciate it. He listened to my uh, Danny conversations. And then also uh, the one that uh, Greg and I did Rucka last uh, Monday or last Sunday night, I should say. I started listening to that one, but then Greg started going off on how Batman sucks now. I was like, God damn, he's talking about me. <laughs> I get it, Rucka. I ruined Batman. I know. You know, I would love to have you guys uh, discuss Batman because obviously, you know, th- th- that's the beauty of the character. It can be interpreted in different ways and stuff. So, hey, Mark Brooks is joining us too, even. How about that? Mark Brooks. Holy crap. Mark. Man, I-, I haven't seen you forever, Mark. You know, I love your work. You got to do one of these as well. Uh, no, it would be great to have you on. So I didn't know this. Uh, Gore Vidal, he wrote a very good Batman pro story in Mystery Quarterly with Mike Grellart. Um, They are – I don't know if they'll reprint that because it's not uh, Mystery, a Mystery story. But I know Hard Case Crime has been reprinting the uh, Mystery comics that Terry Beatty and Max did, Max hmm. Allen Collins. And they started with the quarterly because they're in color and those are the only Mystery color stories and stuff. So I, I did not know that, that uh, Denny did a pro story like that. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. So I, I just throw that out there. And um, geez. Oh, what, what is it here? Somebody, I think we're, we're here. Gore Vidal. I got those in the heavy metal issues of Starenko's Outland. Very cool. You nerds are the best. Man. You're like heavy metal issues of Starenko's Outland. That is a deep. And Dean gives you a compliment. I love that Tom turned Batman into a romantic comic. I completely agree. Not since the Englehart Rogers run. Did we see such a beautiful romance uh, happen in the pages of Batman? I love kissy comics. Those are my favorite comics. <laughs> well, that's that's when I that's when I turned out the podcast when Rocket was like, Danny had a rule that Batman couldn't sleep with anyone. Now Batman sleeps with everyone. I was like, oh man, I just wrote like three sex scenes in Bad Cat, so <laughs> I am on the opposite side of that issue. How are things going uh, with uh, with you and Clay on uh, Bad Cat? Slowly, I know they're going. Uh, they're going great. I just finished the script for issue seven, so we only have a few more scripts left. Hey, that's awesome! Is it uh, gonna, it's going to be twelve, right? Or ten? Yeah, it's going to be twelve. It'll be twelve issues when it's done. Um, Clay is drawing it beautifully. He's treating every single page like it should be a work of art, uh, which and it looks that way. It's it's stuff you would put on the Sistine Chapel, um, but the Sistine Chapel takes time to work, and. Um, and so Clay is Clay is drawing it at the. Um, I mean, he's he's doing the best work of his career, and it's taking some time. And the good news is we haven't decided when to launch it yet, so I can be like, you know, Clay can be like, I want to draw this as well as I can. It's gonna take a little more time, and I can say, go for it, brother. And so that's sort of where we're at. Okay. Um, yeah, Th- that's cool. It's beautiful. Oh my God, it's beautiful. This is I've never seen a book this pretty. Jake Carlson asks, is Jim, I'm assuming he means Jim Lee, still doing covers for Bat Cap. I'm so pumped for that book, and I can't wait for Phantasm. Yes, Jim is still doing the covers. I've seen the first cover Jim did, and it is beautiful. I know it's a shocker that, that Jim drawing a, a Batman Catwoman pinup would be beautiful, but uh, yes, uh, Jim is still doing the covers, and I, I'm i not sure. I'm Travis Clare was supposed to do the other covers, but I'm not sh- I haven't been confirmed on that. In That's cool. God, that'd be great. Uh, uh, yeah, so we'll see. Nick James S. is, uh, I'm assuming, Bad Cat. Is it in continuity? Yes, it's in continuity in the way all my books, the current three books I'm working on are in continuity, which is to say they're in it's the same way sort of Mr. Miracle is in continuity, which is they, they're not in day-to-day continuity. Um, the way I like to think of it is like uh, Batman Long Halloween or Batman um, The Killing Joke, 
um, these kind of books that exist in continuity. The killing joke happened. Barbara Gordon got sh shot. Uh, but it didn't happen at the exact same time it was coming out uh, coincide with the Batman issues. It got absorbed into continuity because it had such a huge impact. And in that way, it had much bigger impact than whatever generic Batman 432 that came out the same week as The Killing Joke. So in that way, it's in continuity. But because it doesn't have to respond to sort of the day-to-day -day problems of continuity, it can be bigger than that and can have even a bigger impact than sort of – and I'm, I'm talking about a guy who has written Batman for five years of his life. That it's, it's bigger than that. It's bigger than my Batman in terms of its impact. Um, and uh, R.E.S., is there a release date yet? I'm assuming not yet. Not yet. We're aiming for Christmas. It's a Christmas-themed show. Oh. Uh, yeah, so it's it's uh, thinking of Batman Returns. Yeah, so we're aiming for Christmas, but I don't want to give positive. All right. Word. Well, we still got months before the fall when that would normally be announced, a couple months before coming yeah. out. So uh, that's cool. And I know you. the whole plan was to bank episodes or issues, I should say, for Clay, although they are episodes. Uh, and then when you got enough that, you know, it'll stay yeah. on a monthly schedule, which I totally respect. And I think that's uh, that's awesome, man. And everything is completely in the air now. I mean, obviously, because of, you know, coronavirus and the world melting and all that stuff. I understand. So, so uh, my predictions know, are I have no idea. Uh, and, Julie oh, and also DC switched their entire distribution system. And uh, so, you know, it, there's a ton of stuff going on. Yeah, that's got to I mean, as, as a creator to wake up for some of the news that comes out, it's got to be weird. I would think it is. It is weird. Um, it helps that your leader in all of this is Jim Lee, and that he's the one making the decisions. Um, Jim Lee had, uh, drew the best-selling comic book of all time. Uh, he started it, the third most popular comic book company of all time. Uh, he got super rich in this industry. He's he's been the best artist in comics for thirty years. Um, he just took his nights to sketch every night for the comic book shops to earn the money. Uh, I would trust that guy with the future of this industry. And, uh, and that's where I put my trust. He's, he's, I mean, this is a Princeton dropout, man. This guy is a Bill Gates type. He's, he's just sharper than sharp. And, uh, and he knows where we're going. So yeah, it, it, it does help with Jim Lee at the helm. It's been interesting. I, I talked to uh, Scott Snyder a couple weeks ago and the potential, changes to the next status quo uh, compared to what we had heard about from Dan DiDio and also behind the scenes stuff regarding what everyone uh, hears was called 5G and, you know, the possible changes from that. I have no details and don't expect to hear any from you, but it's. Uh, Here's it's the list of all the changes. That are coming. <laughs> you know, someone's going to ask on the chat. I'll so. support everyone else's story. <laughs> exactly. Would you, would you please? Um, <laughs> So yeah, man. No, it's a it's a it's an interesting time. Here, here, Gore Vidal. My favorite King work was your Batman Annual too, of course, about Bruce and Selina growing old together. It's my Why favorite. Try to do that as an annual and not part of your Batman story or Batman and Catwoman. Uh, well, I mean, I well, the, the the second question is easier to answer first. Uh, Batman Catwoman is a direct sequel to that. I've said this before, but it, it that it, it takes it takes off from that issue. That that's what that that's almost the. Um, I don't know, the genesis of the entire Batman Catwoman series is that one annual. Like if you had to read one issue for my run to understand Batcat, read annual number two. And you've already seen this in, I did the Catwoman 80, which or, or 80th anniversary issue, uh, which is sort of part of, that's almost a prequel and sort of takes place. And you can see them slowly inching towards that sort of ultimate death. And I just did, I'm doing with Walter Simonson, um, which is my dream come true. I can't wow. believe it's happening. 
Let me yeah, I'm doing a book with Walter Simonson. Isn't that the craziest thing ever? That's fantastic. You're two of my favorite people, so that's excellent. Yeah, Walter Simonson's everyone's favorite people. It's very yeah, I'm going to do that thing with Tom. Oh, my God. It is. It is. It was frightening to write the script. It was frightening to have him call me about this script. Uh, it's yeah. This I've never been more scared working on a project. But we're doing a, a twelve-page story for um, Batman or Detective Ten Twenty-Seven, the thousand issue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, cool. So, and it's oh, it's he. he I just he, he sends me art every day at two in the morning. I don't know Walt's being awake at two in the morning. That guy is still partying hard. That's awesome. Uh, that's so, fantastic. So it's, and it's it's just it's the the art is absolutely gorgeous. And that story too is in that same um, backcat continuity and will be for. But it's it, but just like the Catwoman story, it'll stand alone. It'll be a standalone story. But you can also read it like that. And it's yeah, I've been I've been dying to work with Walt. I've asked him three thousand times to come on to Batman, and uh, he he he's, he said um, at one point he's like, I'll only come on if you do a Doctor Phosphorus story. Uh, and I say, we're doing a Dr. Phosphorus story. So <laughs> this will be the best Dr. Phosphorus story you've ever read. Uh, three people don't know, uh, Walt created Dr. Phosphorus back in Detective in, I don't know, the mid seven, no, late seven, mid, like, I don't know. Right yeah, before the, right, right before the Marshall Rogers, than right, mid, 78, 77. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. You're, you know, much like Matt Wagner, Walt Simonson, another forgotten, important Batman creator. Because I yes. think Matt, Matt gets lost in the shuffle sometimes too. And Walter definitely does until it's like, oh, yeah, there's that uh, cover I did back in 78 of Batman and the Joker. Everybody remembers that. And it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah we yeah, do. Yeah. <laughs> he, he did the calendar man issue on my favorite issues of all time, which will always, anytime they do best Batman issues of all time, they put um, uh, that, that calendar man issue in. And of course, he, he did the, uh, the backups in Detective, which are probably inspired the rebirth of Batman into what he was, the Manhunter um, backups which were sort of like the first adult DC comics, like the sort of evolving it into, into what Batman became. Yeah, I would agree with that. And he, uh, boy, I'll tell you, that's just how far back that goes. He, the, uh, they won, uh, he and um, Archie Goodwin won Shazam awards, the precursor to the Eisners, uh, yeah. the great industry awards, which I love that they were Shazam awards and they were uh, lightning and stuff. Hold on, Brock, uh, Brock Sager, what drives you to put music in the books, Tom? I find myself trying to find the version you listen to while I read it. There, there are two things that that, that put me. Uh, um, number one, I I often think of ideas for pages that where, where things are happening where I have no words to add to these pages, and it's it's it, it's probably I actually just has just talking to Mitch about this yesterday, um, where I'll think of a sequence and I'll be like. This is this will be beautifully drawn. This will happen gorgeously. And I there's no word like I don't like people to fight while they talk. Um, it's funny. Uh, I going back to our previous conversation. So I, there's 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 a fight scene in in this story, and I put captions with quotations marks. And I was like, why don't you have them talking to each other? I was like, oh, I just I consider it weird when people are fighting and talking to each other. I feel like Batman wouldn't talk and be like, let me explain to you what I'm doing while I'm punching you. I feel like it's a more visceral thing like that. And and Walt's like, that's all I do it. Did it? I was like, oh yeah, oh yeah, you're right. That's the better way. Never mind. Um, uh, so yeah, so I I don't like to put people talking while they're fighting. So if there's like a fight scene or there's like a scene, so it's hard. So I'm always like looking for something to put over that. So sometimes I go to poetry. Sometimes I go to music. Problem, of course, in music is complex. You can only use public domain music, which which right now means any music before 1923, which is way back. 
uh, that's like, it's like just pre-jazz. That's so, what, yeah, I was going to say, that's when George and I were Gershwin still had pimples. Yeah. That's my guess. So, yeah. It's horribly depressing. You're like, oh, if only could like 10 more years, time. we can get a, like, I, you know, Berlin and, you know, and like, uh, at least. Yeah. yeah. The start of the American songbook. Absolutely, man. Oh, yeah. But you're, you're cut off before that. Mostly you have Civil War jingles. Um, so you have to be very careful. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, so if you like, you know, so you can put a, a song like Some of These Days, which I put into that Batman annual we're talking about, because I think that was written in the 1911 or something. So uh, um, I, I go I go back to, I'm, uh, we've talked about this many times, my, I'm a, a big fan of the old crooners, and my children fall asleep to them every night. Um, I have a huge playlist of some billion songs of Sinatra and Crosby and Peggy Lee and um, Lady Day and all that stuff. And um, so they're and they play between, in my house between the hours of nine thirty and midnight, basically. So I have them all in my head. So even and they, and they and, and because back in the day, they of course would record those public domain songs as much as possible because they have to pay, get to pay less royalties. So I know all those public domain songs, um, so I can look up which ones sort of have um, interest. But so I mean that, that's the big, but the other I mean the the more the, the deeper point in it is I'm trying to steal from movies. Great movie moments happen when they cut out this they cut out the noise and put in music in the background. Um, you know, are you watching Turner uh, on Mondays and Thursdays this month because what they've been you? doing jazz in film? Yeah, I was just watching Flo the Thelonious Monk. Just I'm, I'm DVRing it, knowing that we were going to talk, and I also uh, DVR the uh, Newport Jazz Festival documentary. I love older documentaries because they have less narration in them, and they really aren't just what the guy shot. And I love that. And and in, in the cases of a woman shooting, great as well because. They let the story tell itself more so than, and I and I still love modern documentaries for that matter matter as well. But it really is just like almost news footage of just, hey, we're going to stick a camera in while this band is doing a, a you know a, a rehearsal for the Newport Jazz Festival, and it's you know for that for that movie tonight. I think that's amazing. Yeah, and celebrities. I mean, it might be complete optical illusion in retrospect, but but celebrities seem to be less conscious of themselves. Less, they were bigger celebrities. More people knew them. You were a celebrity in 1945. Everyone on earth knew who you were, as opposed to now when you have 100,000 followers and you're a celebrity. Uh, but they, they seem to be much more themselves in, in these sort of documentaries. And I think modern people, they're less sort of, they, they have less handlers, less editors, and they just sort of have no choice but to sort of become themselves behind a microphone. I don't know. But I could be wrong. Maybe that's perception. Well, and I, I just also, even the dramas and uh, the comedies that they've shown that have great jazz uh, performances in them too all month, man. Uh, God, I, I watched um, this uh, movie with Sammy Davis from mid sixties. Like a man I called Adam. part of that. Yeah. With Sammy Davis. And, and Louis Armstrong was in it. Louis Armstrong was his, was his father-in-law. Oh my God. Oh, everybody, you know, Ozzy Davis is in it and uh, so many great actors and it's a fantastic, it's a, it was almost Sammy's version. Like Sinatra did the man with the golden arm. This was like Sammy's addiction movie. Yeah. Basically. And uh, yeah, very fascinating stuff, man. No, I love I love stuff like that. Oh, that's funny. Ari wants a uh, a Spotify playlist. You should do a jazz or a, a, you know a, a a great American songbook uh, playlist. That'd be awesome. I have three children and no childcare. Do you think I have time for Spotify playlist, people? <laughs> I understand. That's all right. My I wife and I are the most tired people in America. Shelly and I were talking to Shelly Bond on uh, Friday with uh, China Cluxton. Uh, Flores. Great, great conversation, everybody. Posted the audio today. Video was last Friday. And uh, she asked me, they asked, uh, like, what, what I karaoke to. And I always pick that Sinatra version of Zing Went the Strings of My Heart 
which you can find on Ring a Ding Ding. And it's it's one of my favorite kind of second tier Sinatra songs. I know it. I know well. I know you know it. I know it. You know. I, I don't karaoke. I wish I did. You are much cooler than I. Oh, please. I have no see. I got God made me with half a talent. I'm always half. I could do like when I was in school. I was an actor. I was good at acting. I you know I was very Shatner. But uh, but I, but when you're in high school, all the school plays are musicals, and I would get up there. I was literally in music. This, this I would did Forty Second Street as a senior. And I was the star of the show because I was good at acting. And but I couldn't sing a fucking note. Still can't. can't just, they just don't. The notes don't come out. So I would do this thing where I, this literally happened as Nigel in front of a huge audience. I would I, I was um, Baxter. The, if you see Forty Second Street, the producer. And I was I got up to the to the, the, to the lady, the Ruby Keeler character, and I was I was like, I love you, baby. And this guy's gonna tell you how I feel. And I backed up, and then the guy came on and sung the song for me, and then ran off. That is, I, I have no singing voice at all. Um, and just like I want to do comics, and I love comics, and uh, but I can't draw. I'm the worst artist, whatever. God gave me half a human. That's that's who I am. But a lot so of the great maybe I'm half Jewish. I'm, I'm just that's a half person. A lot, a lot of the great American songbook, though, it almost is written for anybody to sing. You know what I mean? It's kind of in that mid range, and I mean you 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 rarely get a like one that you can't even just like talk through. And truly, truly, when I do a Sinatra song. I'm mostly just kind of talking it, but uh, it works totally. I mean, cause that's how, you know, that, you know, I get no kicks from champagne. I mean, it's easy. Cole Porter. Come on. I was um, just reading the book on um, breakfast at Tiffany's about how they made moon river for Audrey Hepburn. And the guy's like, I watched, she had three notes. I could only make a song that was three. She could hit three notes. So I had three notes to work with. And that's yeah. how I wrote moon river. Totally. That's hilarious, man. I, uh, and uh, also, what was I going to say? Oh, you know, uh, uh, Julie uh, Benson and a few others are like, "Hey, are you going to talk Columbo?" No, 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 Julie, we're saving that for you and Shauna, and we'll do another, we'll do another Columbo conversation because because Tom and I and uh, Mike uh, Cronenberg did our uh, Columbo conversation a couple months ago, and that's still fresh. People can still check that out. Yesterday was we're not talking about comics. Though. Yesterday was Father's. No, no, we'll get back to comics. We'll get we'll get back to uh, your comics as well. Yesterday was Father's Day. My 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 children wrote me cards, which were very sweet. My youngest son, who's cheetah obsessed, drew a cheetah for me. That's why there's a cheetah fact in Strange Adventures. I put it in for him. It's not a metaphor at all. It was just to impress my child. Uh, and my daughter, who's sweet, wrote me a very sweet note about how much she loved me, and it was in her terrible grammar, which only she knows. And uh, but my son decided to write me a story. He's like, "This is a story for you, Daddy." He typed it up on, and the the story was like. Columbo can't solve a case, so he calls Batman. And Batman can't solve the case, so he calls Tom King. I was like, this is the greatest Father's Day card anyone's ever gotten. I've just, I've won fatherhood now. That's well a good done. crossover. I like it. I couldn't, I wanted to post it online, but he put it, you know, at the dinner table, I discussed sort of what I've done with my day. And I was like, oh, we're working on this. And so I, I tell them, I was like, oh, you know, this is what we're working on for the New Gods movie. And he put in a bunch of New Gods movie plot points in the sort of story. I was like, I can't post this online. I totally spoil the movie. God damn it. <laughs> it's funny as a father, your first instinct is like, how can I get this on Twitter? <laughs> so like, I don't need to appreciate this moment. I need to make it Instagrammable. Speaking of uh, New Gods, uh, Ari wants to know that you're going to make a cameo in the New Gods movie. <laughs> Yes, I will be the. Um, I'm going to sing Sinatra song in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Uh, yeah, no, I don't. I no, I. I don't imagine anybody wants to see my ugly mug on. You know, uh, Tom, uh, for uh, the feed before we started talking, I got an email from a guy 
uh, Dan DiGiorgio, and he wanted to ask uh, about the Vertigo uh, CMYK story that you did with uh, John Paul Leone called Black Death in America. I don't think yes. I've ever heard you guys talk about it, and it feels especially relevant now. I, I'm going to post that online because it's it, it's we released it, DC releases for free, so you could read it. So I think I can post the whole thing. It's only eight pages. We got nominated for an Eisner for that story. That's my first Eisner nomination, uh, and I lost. And like a like a very controlled man, I walked out. <laughs> I I I I was like I was like I have to use the restroom. I'll be right back. And I just fucking walked out. I was I handled it like a little child is how I handled it. Because oh, it was terrible. It's funny you're asking this very important story. I'm talking about myself. I, should, I, I, I like that uh, that story. That's good. Because it was because um it's 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 uh, we'll get to the story later. But it's a very deep story about sort of the, um, the history of um. Of, of one black man's struggle. And, and John Lewis was giving the award and uh, John Lewis, a personal hero. My, and he also lived across the street from me at the time. So like, I, wow. I, I, I didn't know him, no one, but we had crossed each other's paths and he had kissed my, cause I used to be a house dad who wandered the hill and he had kissed my children like politicians do. And so I was like, this is going to be amazing. It's gonna be like, don't I know you from across the street? And here you are giving me an Eisner world. And then, and, and it was for this story. And then they announced, you know, Adrian Tomine had written some sad book about how he hates masturbation or something. I don't fucking know. But, uh, and so that of course won, because that's, that's real comics is memoir comics. And, uh, and so, um, and so I, I was a little baby about it, and I walked out. Uh, but but the actual thing is important is is, is the issue. Um, yeah, black, it's called Black Death in America. I did with J, John Paulion with John Workman on letters, wow. and we did it in black and white. So there's no colors, and uh, and um, it's about a, 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 a World War One hero. Everyone it's, it's sort of a more more famous story now, but um, it, his nickname was Black Death, and he. Did in one. If you look up what he did in, in World War One in, in this one night, he basically won a battle by himself, uh, and he ended up killing like twenty guys. And he and he basically fought by himself all night and, and defended um, a fallen soldier next to him. And he uh, he didn't win the Medal of Honor because they wouldn't give it to him because he was black. But he won the um, the highest French award for it because at the time the the soldiers were fighting under French command because they wouldn't let the black soldiers fight under American command. Um, and then he came home from the war. And, uh, you know, of course, the Tulsa massacre is very famous and it's in everyone's minds now. And the reason, you know, that they call it the Red Summer and everything is, is one of the big things was a lot of these soldiers came back from the war and people sort of had this realization that they were going to sort of try to take their place in America that they had fucking earned. Um, not that they needed to earn it because it should have been given to them in the first place, but they fucking earned it anyways. Right. Uh, and so there were these riots throughout America, including in Tulsa, they were sort of provoked by these returning it was a way to sort of say like fuck you go back down and uh um pretty lousy and he was involved in that and he um you know they they treated him of course as sort of this war hero to to, to sell stamps and he was one of the first people that spoke out he said you guys gotta stop fucking killing us i'm not gonna you know um sell stamps for you and so he of course was fired for saying that and um and his life sort of tumbled out of control. He couldn't get hired. They, they, his war record got lost in the paperwork, so they wouldn't pay him his veterans' pay. Wow. And um, and he was buried in a in a in a pauper's grave. Later, the the pauper's grave was it was in uh, um, or potter's grave in um, Arlington, but it was an unmarked grave in Arlington, which was later found. Uh, and his son became a Tuskegee Airman, 
I mean, it's, wow. it's an amazing, it's an amazing story. So I, I wrote that. And it, it was, again, one of those things where it was, it was such a story. And I found, I did a ton of research and I found a document where he sort of explained what he had done um, that night, that famous night where he killed 20, 20 soldiers by himself and sort of defended. And, and, and he and, and just in the most brilliant American way, he told this story. And so what I do is I, I took his words and put them on the story. And so his words were in the captions um, and he sort of told the story of what had happened to him. And while he told that story, I put in the, in the pictures, I put what happened to him in his life. Um, so you can sort of see the difference between him narrating his, um, his hero, heroic, his heroic um, acts and sort of the treatment he got. And uh, yeah, and I, I couldn't be more proud of that story. I, I um, yeah. And uh, so, well, you know, yeah, it's called black death in America and I'll, I'll post it for free on in Twitter tomorrow or something. Okay. That'd be great. Uh, my friend, uh, Cameron McWhorter uh, wrote uh, a history book about red summer um, almost 10 years ago. And actually right now is uh, um, trying to get a graphic novel done about it. And um, I think it would be, an, I think it would make an excellent graphic novel thought. So before the demonstrations, it's a sad period in, in history that should not be forgotten. And also the, the filmmakers who made the documentary um, Obama from DuSable to the white house. Uh, I can't remember her name. Chaz, I believe is her first name. It's not uh, Ebert's wife, but a wonderful uh wonderful filmmaker. I met her while they were doing fundraisers for the documentary. And um, yeah, they're really, they're compiling a lot of amazing photographs and footage. Uh, and uh, it's, it's a very sad story, but it really does need to be retold to remind people. And it, sadly the, you know, everything that's been going on, I mean, it just reminds us that in a hundred years we haven't really progressed further than we should. And it's a, it's a shame. Uh, yeah. It, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I don't know what to say besides. Um, yeah. I would say it's uh, now. I'm going to get political. You got you pulled me into this fucking thing, John. I can't help it, man. I'm uh, you know me. I'm comic book Oprah. Everybody opens up to me. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> Go on. So uh, a history teacher said this to me in, in in high school, and you know everything a history teacher says to you in high school is a lie. So uh, so please forgive me if you research this and it's an utter lie. But it stuck with me. He asked he asked sort of the class, my AP American history, like why did sort of the civil rights movement catch on? Like you know what what about that? Not not in terms of you know people people were always fighting for their freedom. Why did sort of why did the sort of the white population become disgusted by the treatment of the black population? And his answer that he gave was that they had just gone through World War II and they had, they had painted Hitler as such a nasty man, as such a bad guy, that everything sort of associated with Hitler became nasty. And like the fact that he hated Jews and hated blacks and hated minorities, it was, that was like, it was almost a propaganda machine to be like, here, we finally have something evil, that's evil. Everything about that is awful. Um, and so that got stuck in my head. Again, I don't know if that's true or actual factual, but it got stuck in my head. Uh, and I do think we're having a moment in this country now where we have someone who is just pure trash, this Trump motherfucker. And, uh, and we can look at him and say, what is it about this man? What makes him trash? Um, in the same way we looked at Hitler and said, what makes him trash? And one of the things is his racism and his treatment of women. And so I think in our own culture, we're starting to be like, what about me is like him and how can I fix that? You know? And I think that's the one sort of shining silver, whatever. I mean, it's not fucking worth it. Don't get me wrong, but it is that we can sort of see it's it's more clear to our eyes what's wrong. You know, the, the facades drop away. Um, and uh, and so we sort of we can reach out and do that. So I, I think that might be that's just sort of part of our sort of current moment in our culture is to sort of recognize, you know, 
to, to have our evils put in front of us to be like, oh, fuck, we got to fucking not do that anymore. I'm with you, man. No, I'm totally with you. And that, that, I mean, that's obviously, I mean, it's on fire in the comic community right now um, in terms of our treatment of women throughout yeah. uh, our industry and how we have to get better. Uh, but I'm glad, I'm glad this stuff is coming to light. And I think uh, some people that were congratulated for the good things that they've done in comics, uh, we learned a little bit more about them and rightfully so. And uh, I think it's important to point out uh, the bad things that they did, and um, in a lot of in a lot of ways, disappointing stuff, man. Uh, very very disappointing stuff. That's 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 all I have to say about that. And uh, sadly, you know, one of my good friends uh, was involved with one of these incidents, and uh, really got a raw deal. And I, she's she's a survivor, and she's tough as nails. Um, and I'm glad that things are are working out for her. And I know she's in a wonderful relationship and in a, in a, in a very happy marriage and, and I'm thrilled and I love them both. Um, but uh, yeah, she didn't deserve what happened to her 15 years ago. And that was pretty shitty. That's all. I, I won't, I won't name names. So people can read between the lines, figure out who I'm talking about. But I remember a weekend very clearly. Uh, and then the way that uh, uh, facts had to be reversed for uh, saving this person because of the good things he was doing in comics and she capitulated uh, under pressure, and I think that was pretty lousy. And I'm glad that her story has finally come out, and uh, the person's getting what he deserves. It's that simple. So anyway, let's move on to uh, happier uh, uh, topics. <laughs> Good. Uh, Give me off the rant. The, the rant of injustice. Well, you know something. Hey, man, you threw yourself out there. I'll, I'll join you because again, it's it's a sad time, and I'm glad that uh, you know uh, we recognize that, and and that things are being done. Again, not worth the pain that a lot of people are suffering through both in the macro and in the micro. But uh, again, I think uh, these things are finally starting to happen and that's great to, uh, to, to see in here. So. Well, uh, I, I, I do want to say that I, I, the, these women who are coming forward that I have, I, I, I have your back, man. I'm behind the scenes. I'm, I'm going to be pushing for you and pushing against them. And, and, and I know that's that. I mean, I, I was, um, uh, I, I fucking I don't care. Uh, I, like I witnessed some se- sexual harassment, the same individual doing it a few times, and uh, and reported it to HR and reported it to my bosses and and got and had the person um, uh, uh, banned from things that I attended and taken off books that were associated with. Not I mean I don't had I don't have the fucking power, but I requested. I was like I just don't want to be associated with this person. Um, and uh, and I reached out to the women uh, who who were involved and and and. To, to a T, each of the ones that said, I just don't, I don't want to be public about this because it'll hurt me because they, that person has protection. And, uh, and it breaks my heart. That fucking breaks my heart that we can't tell the truth in our industry. And, uh, and I want you to know that uh, you have a fucking ally in me. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry that, that this, this, this is happening. And, and, uh, and uh, yeah, and we have to be better. That's, that's it. Yeah. yeah, no, I, you know, Kelly Sue, uh, I think, gave two impassioned uh, videos on her Instagram account over the weekend. And I think one good thing that she suggested out of this is because, as you well know, uh, because it's not just a, uh, for women, it's for men as well. Getting into comics, it's usually you have to know somebody to get into comics. So you need an advocate. And maybe it would be nice if, and as someone who has written novels and things, that maybe they do follow the the novel or the Hollywood screenwriter no, uh, method of having an agent present your work. And maybe that would, would take some of the personal connections necessary in today's comic uh, business. 
to get to get in. I I, I think it's a good uh, suggestion. I say that as a layman. So it's tough in comics. They're a small industry. It is done. You get comic work by working the bars. That's like I not to, I mean I there's no yeah. other way to say that. And I yeah. I, I and I, I fucking did that tour, man. I I was I've stayed up till three in the morning in every bar from San Diego to New York City just trying to get that five minutes with an editor. And some of those bars are yeah, they're not good places for women. It's just not it's not fair. It's just not fair. Yeah. No, it's 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 not an even playing. And it's not a fucking coincidence that top ten people in comics by pay, not by popularity, but by pay, I'm sure, men, or at least nine out of the top ten. And so, yeah, we got to fix that. That's that's we're fucking. Yeah. yeah. Um. You know, here I want to. This is an interesting uh, tie back to the comics. Greg McKeon says, "Is is if Mr. Miracle was response to the Trump election, and Strange <laughs> Adventures is a response to the Mueller investigation?" Stop seeing through me. I must be deeper than that. I can't wait to see what Tom produces. In response to current Trump, that's interesting. Was that true? Were they were both of those? Uh, was was Strange Adventures? Uh, uh, resp- and, and let's start with Mr. Merkel. Was that a response to the Trump election? Yes, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. It was. I mean, it was this response. I mean, I've talked about this a lot of times. It was a response to a lot of things. I had had a one of those sort of mental blah 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 breaks, first season Soprano breakdowns, and and, um, and felt that I had woken up in a world that made no sense to me. Um, and a, a lot, big part of that was this the Trump election and sort of the turning of America into something I did not recognize. And I say this as a guy who fought under George W. Bush, who fought terrorists in the CIA. I'm not. Um, uh, I, I have no shame in my country. I, I have pride in what my country can be, and I have shame in what my country can become. Uh, so um, uh, I'd woken up in, in sort of this, and so I wanted to write about that feeling, sort of how we get through this moment, and that was that. That was more so. That's what Mr. Miracle was. It was. It was about how we sort of get through the trauma of that moment of sort of waking up in a world you don't understand. Um, and is is Strange Adventures then a response to the Mueller investigation? Yeah. So Strange. I mean, it's it's. I wouldn't say it's direct. <laughs> it's funny because it was written before the Mueller investigation kind of went kaput. Um, uh, but it was. It, I knew. I. And I look, I could still be wrong about this, but it seems at some point in our future, we're going to have to sort of reckon with what happened um, in some sort of way. And with with these individuals and sort of the truth of what they did and, and what's true and what's not true. And I, I just don't see how we don't have a reckoning. And I so, agree with you, but I don't know if that's possible. Forgive me for interrupting, because honestly, I remember I mean, I was only 12 when when uh, or I, actually I was only 10 when Nixon resigned and then Ford took over and that, if you, I mean, that was the fairest moment of discovering abuse of power by a president and Republicans standing up and saying, we can't stand by you. You've got to go. You broke the rules. You broke the law. And I don't know if that, especially in our current divided country, should Trump be voted out of office and I mean, obviously, the Bolton revelations aren't really revelations because we knew it anyway already. And and I mean, that's the thing. My God, there's a book out there where a guy that was in the room is saying this guy did wrong. And, and I, you know, there's a, a majority of Congress that's going la, 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 you know, as far as one side of the aisle. And and it's sick. And I don't I, I don't know. I don't know if I, I don't know if that's possible. And that's sad. And I don't mean to bum us out, man, but that's, you know. No, but, but everything you just said is what Strange Adventures is about. It's not about how easy it will be. It's about how hard it will be. 
It's about, and whether it can actually be, it's about, it's not about the discovery of truth. It's about the fight over truth. Uh, so yes, it, that, that's exactly what Strange Adventures is. It's all those freaking questions you just asked. Is it possible in, in this environment today um, to, to even see the truth when everything is being sort of torn apart and, and, and immediately spun and, and this? And, and does anyone fucking care about the truth? Does the truth even matter next to sort of the direct impact on your life? You know, Does the truth that if you don't wear a mask, uh, people will get sick matter compared to how it fogs up your glasses? You know, like, like people, you know, like that, that's what Strange Adventures is. And it's a much, Mr. Miracle, Batman, Heroes in Crisis, they were about, almost like how you solve the wounds that are hurting you. Um, the next three books, uh, Batcat, um, the unannounced book and, uh, and this one are much angrier books. And they're more, they're more about the frustrations and the problems and the attempts to fight back. Um, so yeah, they're, they're very, all three books I'm writing now. Batcat probably the least cause it's a little more romantic, but are very sort of political and about this moment. I think it's just what you have to do. You have to sort of follow in that watchman footsteps and write about, in order to, I, I wrote this about Denny O'Neill. I mean, what Denny did was he wrote about his time and you read his, his Batman. It's about the seventies. You read his questions about the eighties. Um, and you read, even, you know, you read his, um, is Azrael? That's very '90s in, in its own way, and, and sort of like, uh, you know, a guy who thinks he's better than he is in sort of a way. Uh, uh, and so, I mean, to, to make timeless comics, you have to write about your time, you know, like Denny did, and like Frank Miller did, and like uh, Alan Moore did. Um, when uh, here Ben S asks, uh, you know, they, everyone knows you got a book coming out. With which George would he be talking about? That's Jorge Fornes. Okay, talking, who's about to become the the A-list artist in comics or one of the big A-list artists in comics. Didn't he do that very Mazzucchelli kind of Batman in your uh, run? Yes, he did. When I, when I first tried to get Jorge on, um, on Batman, it went up sort of the chain in the DC editorial. And I got back these comments like, Oh, this guy, I don't know about him. He just looks like Mazzucchelli. I was like, what? He just looks like Mazzucchelli. I apologize (laughs) that the guy I want on Batman just looks like Mazzucchelli. Who only happens to be the best person who's ever drawn the character. Apologize to Jim Lee, who I sucked up to earlier in the podcast. Uh, but yeah, he, he has a Mazza Kelly vibe. He has a very Alex Tothy vibe. Uh, and um, and he has a little bit of Dave Gibbons. So, so yeah, uh, the, the Jorge project is that's going full steam ahead. He's drawing issue four right now. Um, so we already have three issues in the can, uh, fully lettered and done. And so, uh, Nobody, I, I was supposed to announce it at WonderCon, which was in March. Um, uh, literally what happened was Dan texted me and he said, Tom, WonderCon's coming out. Flat announces Compa. I said, great, let's do it. Next day I get a text. Hey, Tom, it's Jim. Dan's been fired. <laughs> wow. Uh, and I was like, oh, okay. Well, I guess we're not announcing at WonderCon. <laughs> Probably bigger issues. So, um, uh and so we're supposed to announce it at WonderCon. We have not announced it yet. I think this is a blessing in disguise because this way when it comes out, I'll be able to send three to five, maybe even six issues to reviewers before it comes out so they can read it almost like a graphic novel. Kind of like when you, when people, you know, when you, when reviewers get the first six issues of The West Wing so they can see what it's like. So I'm, I'm super happy Hori is going super strong. And it, to me, uh, I, I, this is the first book I've ever written like this. I wrote it all at once. I stole it from Brad Melter. I, ha- I had... Um, late night drinks with Brad Meltzer. He told me he'd written uh, um, uh, identity crisis all in one sort of all together. Cause wow. people always accuse him of, like, Oh, did you change the ending to a different thing? He's like, no, I, it was always what it was um, because I had written it all at once. And so it was there. 
and I was inspired by this and it would happen to coincide with coronavirus and all the like Shakespeare wrote whatever. I was like, I'm just going to sit down and write this like a novel and just write an issue a week. So I wrote all 12 issues in a row, like a novel. Um, and that way I could adjust the beginning to more to the end. Right. And it's, there's, there's, there's no, there's no adjustment. It just, it reads as a tight, as a tight sort of Mac, this thriller sort of thing. So yeah, so to me, this is the one, I don't know. I mean, Strange Adventures is super ambitious, but so this is right there with Strange Adventures and sort of, you know, doing the most ambitious book I've ever done. That's um, beautiful, man. That's and excellent. It's, and it's about, um, I don't know. It's, it's about, uh, <laughs> it's, about the, 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 it's about the, it's about the, I guess you can say it's about an attempted assassination or an assassination of, of a president. So interesting. It's, okay. yeah, it's very, uh, it's cool. That's cool. Very cool. Uh, people are asking more specific questions. Sorry, I kids. love the questions. That well, uh, no, I, I'm, I'm not even going to bother. Man, oh. if you want to read them on the YouTube thing, that's fine. I mean, people are asking if it's creator owned. Is it a superhero story? No, it's DC yeah. Comics. It's not creator owned. I have no creator owned right. coming out. I'm writing just for DC Comics right now. Um, okay, they 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 pay me very nicely and they treat me very nicely and uh, and I enjoy working for them. So. Oh, uh, Nick Darrington wants it. Well, again, uh, it's, Nick uh, Darrington's on this. Yeah, I'll tell you. Every now and then, Nick pops in. Good to see you, Nick. And I appreciate the question. What a nerd! Um, guy, you man. know, when when I guess yeah. Do we know when? Do we know when it will be announced? I mean, again, it didn't make it no, to Andrewcon. I have right. absolutely no idea. I have zero idea. At one point, they told me it might be out in October, which is so it should have already been announced. But yeah, no, I have, I have zero. I have zero idea. Okay. All I know is the scripts are already done, and Jorge works every freaking day on it. And every day is turned in pages, and. I love it. I love being this far ahead. I've never been this far ahead in a book in my life. So um, it's perfectly fine with me. Uh, There's a a guy on Twitch. I'm not even going to ask your questions. uh, We already talked about Joel Schumacher. I'm sorry you missed that, Twitcher. I'm glad that you're there on Twitch. Your other question has nothing to do with this conversation, but I see it. So thanks for playing. Uh, (laughs) Somebody, oh, Fabio Luna is jumping in. Hey, man. Fabio Luna. You're a nerd. You're a bigger nerd than I am. Jesus. Oh my goodness! Your comics make me cry, Fabio. Thank you, I appreciate it. <laughs> Man, I saw the brothers last year at Rose City, and I'm so glad. I literally I went to talk to Diana Schutz, and they and they were sitting with her, and I'm oh, like, I hey, love guys. Diana Schutz. She's the she's best. awesome. She really is. I love her too. She's terrific. Uh, very very cool. And then somebody had a good question about under uh, Diana Schutz was in the car with me when I came up with the end of Mister Miracle. Um, have I told you the story about the bus and the no. whole thing? So um, I, I went um, – uh, Comic-Con has the famous um, – oh, God, sorry. My brain is farting. There's a famous party on the last night of Comic-Con that's, fo- that's thrown by the guy who owns graffiti T-shirts. Uh, and he's thrown it every single year of Comic-Con, except this year. How depressing. Uh, and it's all, the, it's all the creators from the beginning of Comic-Con to now at a party. Comic-Con creators, not, no Hollywood. And it's chill, and it's the best, and it's the best party of all Comic-Con. And um, I got invited, and it's 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 you know it's a privilege to get invited. Oh, thanks, Jay Park. I appreciate saying nice things. Um, Good icon too. And I was I was working on Mister Miracle at the time, and um, and it, it, it was late at night. It was like two in the morning. It was the last day of the con. It's on Sunday night, so it's San Diego is shutting down. They're letting the regular San Diego people come back. It's all very sort of surreal. You're seeing all these huge posters get torn down. You know, these movies. Get, it's, it's almost like it transforms overnight, and you're sort of watching something die. And so it's 2 in the morning. I get out I get out of the, the con. Um, I was going to take an Uber, but there was a bit of bus, like a party bus, oddly enough. 
and they're like, come on, Tom, get on the party bus. And it was me, Diana Schutz, and, and I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to forget his name, but he was an artist who worked with uh, Chris Claremont, um, an old school artist. And um, and they were sitting there, and Diane, uh, uh, I forget to call her Ms. Schutz, I don't know her that well, but she, she starts talking sort of about um, how Harlan had died that year, and um, and, and she, she gets very emotional about sort of how the old guard who had sort of protected comics for so long has was sort of passing. And she, and, and like tears are, now, and then the party bus turns on and there's no music, but there's, it's complete dark. They turn off all the lights and um, they turn on a laser show inside the bus. One of those sort of laser things that like, like kind of goes outside an RCA shop and, in, in, in you. Um, so she's crying and there's lasers going everywhere. And then she, she very kindly, very kindly says, Tom, we, we so appreciate it. Like you're doing, because Mr. Miracle was a big hit at the time. You're doing this, you know, just sort of for Jack Kirby's legacy. And I was like, oh, yeah, I mean, it's great. I mean, I, you, know, you say all the nice things. And um, and, I was, and, I, and I said my favorite f- fact about Jack Kirby is like, it's weird because it's called the fourth world, but nobody knows what fourth world means. It's, it's comp- you know, some people say it's because it was it was four books. Some people say because it come from Thor, you know, was his idea of Thor was like a first world and blah, blah, blah. And I, and I just, like, as a yeah. joke to be like, it just means nothing. And then the, the other dude whose name, I'm sorry, I forget, I could look it up. He leans forward. And uh, and like you gotta imagine, there's there's it's it's utter darkness. He leans into the light, and there are stars bursting on his face from this laser. And he has you know a long white beard. He looks like the fucking voice. He looks he just looks like God. And and there's stars bursting. And next to him is this comics legend with tears in her eyes. And he goes, he goes, well, do you want to know what Jack said it was? And I was like, what? He's he's like, well, you met Jack, right? I was like, no, I. I uh, and he's he's like, well, Jack, I went to a thing, and Jack told me what the fourth world was. And I was, I was like, he did? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I, I would like to hear. And I literally did, I did not have an ending for Mr. Miracle and I'm leaning forward. And so this guy, this this man with old face is just with, 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 with stars bursting in his face just goes, um, he said the first world was sort of the established, was the established world, um, the world we all know. The, 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 the second world was the old world, the world of Jack's parents that he came from to the first okay. world. The third world was sort of the rising, you know, like the third world countries. Except, you know, okay. Sort of the rising world. And then Jack said, the fourth world is what exists inside me. And it's my imagination. Interesting. And, um, and he's, 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 he's like, so the, the, the first is where we, where we are. The second is where we came from. The third is what's coming next. And the fourth is myself. Uh, and, and I can, and it was, it was like the voice of, I've never been, seen anything like this where you're just like, God is telling me how to write this book. I don't, Do you so think I, it was, was it Paul Smith maybe, or? Uh... No, it wasn't Paul Smith. It was his, his, his artist on Spider-Woman. Um, it's Chris's artist on Spider-Woman. Oh, I, I don't know. She, yeah. he's, he's part of the famous band that plays the Kirby band. Um, I, I could look, it's very Googleable. I'll no worries. No too. worries. And I'm sure someone uh, on the, on the, uh, on the, on the uh, chat might uh, know who you're talking about. Hey, Matthew, Matthew Brake has an interesting question. Uh, how much of your, did your story change regarding how Thomas Wayne got back to the main universe? Was there originally a stronger Manhattan direction, or was it always uh, Thwain that or, Th- or Thawne, pardon me, <laughs> Thawne, uh, or did that decision come later? Uh, I think at one point it's it's hard to remember how these things change so rapidly, especially on Batman. Uh, at one point there was a Doctor. Manhattan element to the thing. At one point, everyone in DC, and I mean every fucking writer, including myself, so put me, was like, oh man, there's something in my story that doesn't quite make sense. Hey, can I use Dr. Manhattan to say he did this? 
like like can can we do that and and um jeff johns the editors rightly said if we said yes to all of these things we'd have a thousand dr manhattan's interfering in every story we couldn't keep track of it um so we sort of have to we have to put limits on sort of dr manhattan's involvement and um so i think we did sort of peel the i i, I had liked the idea um at one point, which I, I pitched hard for, was you know Superman's father came back completely coincidentally which at, the same, at the yes. same time that Batman's father came yes. back, and they were both in conflict with each other, and uh, and Bendis was doing the Superman thing and I was doing the uh, Batman thing, and I pitched that I would like that to be a Manhattan thing, that sort of like he brought back these two fathers, so it didn't look like a coincidence; it looked, it looked like plan. Oh, that would have been interesting, sure. Um, God, that'd be a great conversation, Jor-El and Thomas Wayne, right? And and what happened to their sons? That's a very interesting conversation that someday should happen. I'm. I, let me put that vote in. Jim Lee, are you listening? <laughs> Maybe Jim's watching. Probably not. <laughs> I'm going to say no. And so, um, but again, that, that that didn't fly just because of I don't know. I don't even remember why that didn't fly. So yeah, eventually it went back to Thon, which I think is the best place for it to land because he came out of the Flashpoint universe. Yeah, and I love the idea that sort of. Because you know, in in the Flashpoint universe, um, uh, Thomas kills Thawne. That's sort of how Flashpoint ends. Spoilers, and and so the idea that Thawne gets his revenge by giving Thomas Wayne his because his his most horrible wish, which which was to survive and see his son become him. Because um, if anyone's read uh, Azarello's um, Thomas Wayne thing, it's the most depressing. I mean, it's brilliant, Flashpoint, beautiful. Yeah, yeah Flashpoint. Oh my god, with Riso on art, it's gorgeous. But um, Yes, Eduardo. That's right. Eduardo Druid and Dave did the covers. It was the 100 Bullets uh, team back together again for that amazing miniseries that takes place in the Flashpoint universe and tells Thomas Wayne's story. I agree. It, it literally ends with, I mean, famously, uh, his, wife, his wife is the Joker. And, yeah, Martha is the Joker. And uh, it, it ends with, 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 with him, with Martha being, with him, with Thomas, Martha being like, what happened to our son? Like, there's another universe's life. What happened? And he's like, he becomes me. And Martha goes crazy and throws herself off a cliff. So, like, that's how much he didn't want his son to become Batman. I literally killed his wife. Yes, and uh, I think we have an answer to your who that uh, creator might have been. Is it Steve Lealoa? That sounds right to me. Yeah, that sounds yeah, cause, right. Because with the white beard, that sure describes Steve. Man, I love Steve. I think Steve and Trina Robbins are kind of an – and, boy, I hope I'm not talking out of school. But I, I – like, kind of – if not an item, certainly they're old friends. But I, I most of oh. the time when I run into Steve, it's usually been Trina with them and stuff. So, oh, yeah. I'm I love. That's fantastic. Uh, I hope I'm right about that. I know nothing. I know nothing. I'll, well, he's the voice of God. That's what I'll call him. That's so funny. Oh, man. Um, here, what was another one that uh, I liked uh, here? I have two voices of God. The other one is Jimmy Palmiotti, if you don't listen to Jimmy. Oh, Palmiotti. Jimmy's the best. Jimmy will come up to you in a con, and you'll, you'll be standing in line. He'll be like, Tom, let me tell you something. And he'll give you two seconds of advice that'll change your fucking life. And he'll do it like three times a year. He'll be like, Tom, this is how comics work. I'm gonna change it, and you'll be like, "Oh my god!" I called Jimmy the voice of God. He's he's a fucking smart, and he he knows comics in and out, and knows where they're going and where they're coming. He's seen it. Yeah, all. well, and I kind of love that he probably would have gotten the same deal that Casada got as far as running Marvel Comics at the time, and and you know, Jimmy instead is like, "Yeah, I like making comics." You know, <laughs> I don't want to run a company. I like making comics, and uh, but but he's always there with sage advice, and I love the the trajectory of his career that he is really kind of a guy that I know DC will throw um, young editors to to help groom them 
And isn't that interesting that the creator is the one helping like groom the editor and stuff. And it's like, no, this is the way you really need to do it and stuff like that. And, and still makes his own books is, is truly a great success story with his creator own books and the way he runs his Kickstarters and has really, I think, got it down to a science. Yeah. And even just the little intangibles, like he's like, I buy my post office lunch every couple of weeks because they have to process so many of my Kickstarter, you know, fulfillments. And he's like, it's the least I can do because I'm making so much work for them. So that's the least I can do. And it's like, that's genius, man. Or he used to tell me, hey, you want to get an old creator on? Give him a bottle of booze. And I'm like, <laughs> and, and he's like, I'm, I'm serious. And he goes, they love that. He goes, they never get anything. He goes, you know, that, that that's just showing you, you know, that you, you give a shit beyond getting a good story out of them. And I'm like, you're a genius. You're right. So he knows how it's done, man. Listen, he absolutely does. You're a young comic book writer. Go to Jimmy and ask yeah, for some Jimmy. Time. Yeah, seek Jimmy out, man. Absolutely. He's willing to talk to. And he he's he's he knows that he knows what's going on. So all right. Well, man, here's a very basic Jay Park question. How do you go about writing a script, especially for first issues or a maxi series? Do you have any advice for aspiring nerds like myself? I write a script a week. Um how do you go about writing a script? I mean, that's a big question, right? Like you don't know where to start with that. I mean, I, I mean, I can just give you like the, the actual, I'm sitting where I write. This is what the actual at my computer. Um, oh, look, you can see um, that all the, my certain nerdy room. There's the cover to Batman number one. I got that on my wall. Nice. Um, uh, so um, if the way I do it every week is I do a script a week. Not everybody does the way I do it. So what I basically do is I take the weekend to think, to let ideas stew, to kind of know where I'm going. So that way, like if I'm bored in the car, I'm bored talking. My children are incredibly boring. Who wants to talk to them? So I can think while they're, or, you know, I introduce ideas. So I take the weekend to think so that by Monday, I have some idea of where the comic is going and, and, and the ideas. Um, and then I, I, I sit down with it. And, and on Monday, I say, write five pages. I don't care if they're good. I don't care if they're bad. I, I don't care if you want to write six or seven, just write five. Anyone can write five comic book pages. If you put a two, three splash in, dude, you fucking put a two, three splash, two words on, or put a song in like suggested before. Oh, it's so easy. So I, I write five pages on, on Monday. So I got to start. And usually by the time you write five pages, you unconsciously find your voice in that script. Every voice is sort of a different script of sort of where you're going. And you find sort of little themes you kind of pick up. Oh, I like this. I like this character. I like this phrase. And then, and, and, and you can let that sort of push you forward. And then uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, are sort of flex days um, where I can, you know, if I need to spend more time with my family, I will or whatever. And I try to get somewhere around to page 14. So I get from five to page 14. Um, and then Thursdays I have to finish. So no matter what happens, it's, it's done on Thursday. That, that means if I don't finish by the time it's dinner time, I'm working after dinner. If I don't finish by after dinner, I'm working until three in the morning. I don't care if I have to work, um, all night long, it, the thing gets done on Thursday, and the draft is done, and it's spell checked, and it's it's formatted, and it's, and so then I can walk away Thursday and Friday. I, I take one day to edit and send it in that night, and then start on the next one. So that's wow. how I do the script a week, and that's that's sort of my formula. And, and and Lord knows, in the middle of coronavirus, that formula keeps me sane. It's just the idea that every Friday, despite the fact that we sort of live in this uh, world where everything's the same, that I I produce something and something goes out and something creative gets done. Do you have any? Uh, do you have rec recommendations in terms of uh, books about writing about comics? I mean, did did you read Denny's uh, DC book? Did it help you? I did read Denny's DC book. Um, I think it's 
it did. I mean, um, it did help me. It, it's got the famous Paul Levitz board on it. If anyone knows that sort of technique, uh, I don't use it. Every comic writer loves using it. If the, the Paul Levitz technique is, and I, um, it's funny. He, I he think he's famous just because he took Paul Levitz took the picture of it and we did it on the board. But it's, to me, it's a Chris Claremont technique that, that Chris invented. Um, I don't but, know, though, man. I think I'll be honest, and no offense to Claremont, but I think Levitz was doing it in the seventies before we knew who Chris Claremont was, frankly. Oh man. We, I don't know. I'd have to, I'd have to look it up. Go on, but, but the idea is you have an A plot. That's your focus. That'll get, you know, let's, let's say back then a comic is 24 pages. Your A plot will get um, 17 to 18 pages on the A plot. You'll have a B plot and you'll get um, three to four pages for your B plot. And you'll have a C plot. That'll be a one page. And then, as you move forward, the, the the page increase for the B plot will get more until it becomes the A plot, and the A plot will solve itself, and the C plot becomes the B plot, and it sort of rolls forward like that forever. Yep. Um, and Paul did it very systematically, which is who Paul Levitz is, and um, Chris did it very unsystematically. You know, I was Chris's assistant for six months, so I know Chris. Uh, and, and so sometimes he would just forget like a C plot existed and then he'd add a D plot and he'd never solve it. And he, you know, he's, that's, that's who Chris is. But, um, but that's a, that's a very common method and it's very well explained in Denny book. Denny also is very good on splash pages. If you read that book, Denny, um, is, is very much in favor of starting every single comic with a splash. He's from that school. Yep. Um, and he talks at length about sort of how that sets everything up and you give him an image up front. And I've learned a ton about that and I've used that technique a lot. So there's wonderful techniques. I think Alan Moore's book, I've said this many times, is the best book on writing comics. If I had to just start, I actually recently reread it. Um, what happened was, I don't know the actual history, but because it, it was printed in the comics journal for us, I think the comics journal came to Alan and asked him to write a book on writing, how to write comics. And this is Alan Moore as he's finishing up Watchmen. So he's done Swamp Thing. Uh, he's done Marvel, man. He's just done, this is, this is Alan Moore at the top of his Alan Moore-ness powers. Uh, <laughs> And so the best writer who's ever written our book at the top of his powers took fucking a month off to write on how, on what he was doing at that time. And it's, I don't know, it's absolute gold about how to develop. He, he writes about how to develop characters, how to do splashes, how to do panel transitions. And he talks about his own struggles. Um, and so, yeah, I, if I had to recommend one book, that would be it. Okay. Uh, uh, I would get, you can get online. Uh, I think Peter David did some, a, a book of like scripts. Yep. Um, which, which, which I read, read that. Yep. I've read that. Uh, and then, you know, I, I would go to like for dialogue and stuff. You can steal from novels. Like I read, I, I did um, John Gardner's famous book on how to write. And uh, obviously Stephen King's book. I think everybody reads that. Very uh, good. I think yeah. Brian wrote a good, uh, you know, his uh, writing comics yes. uh, text. Is that is quite good. That's ex Brian's book is the most realistic book. Like Alan Moore's book is very aspirational. Like here's the, you know, you should be attacking the great themes of your life and tearing them apart. Brian's book's like, Hey, what's your worst experience working with an artist? Like the actual stuff that comic book people have to deal with day to day. If you want to know what that is, read Brian's book. Um, that's the most realistic sort of part about that. He asks the questions you've always wanted to ask artists and inkers and letters. And stuff like that. Um, oh, Denny Dudas. If you've ever read uh, Graham Morrison's super gods. I have. So have it I. Yeah, it's 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 a very good book. If uh, and it's good because it's not what you think it is. You think it's just going to be um, like De you know him doing his sort of trippy alien thing, which it is. It's part of that wow. trippy yeah. alien thing. But it's like twenty percent trippy alien, but eighty percent is just a, it's just a straight comic book history 
from the beginning of comic books to now, which is not what I expected it to be. And it, it's, it's, it's like a walk through comic book history to someone who knows the medium better than almost anyone. And uh, yeah, that is, that super gods is, is an absolutely brilliant book. Um, yeah, I no, I completely agree. I think uh, I also, I, it is the history of comics through Grant Morrison's perception of what he read. Yes. And, I, and, I, and I, it's fascinating. I don't agree with a lot of his observations, but I certainly wouldn't take them away from him because this is how it hit him. Art hits people differently. So I totally respect that. And it, But, man, I'll tell you, I, uh, the, the guys at DC were very kind and got me, him, and Liam Sharp together to talk about uh, the Green Lantern run, and it's been great. I hope to have another conversation with uh, Grant Solo and pick his brain more because he's a fascinating man. And I... I, I, in general, and forgive the generalization, everybody, but I love hearing the British perspective on American heroes because it is different. Uh, their their perception is very different than uh, us who have grown up here. And I've had this conversation with James Robinson and Paul Jenkins and many other uh, great British writers who I really, really respect. And it's great to get their point of view. Richard Starking and I just had a wonderful conversation as well. That uh, I, I've recently released, and he'll be uh, he'll be back on soon. I, I a lot of his Marvel UK stuff. I never get a chance to talk to him about that stuff. So uh, just uh, throwing that out there. By the I way, love, I love Elephant Man. I love Richard Starkey's Elephant Man. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, but Paul Baker says Brian. Who? Yes, I meant I did mean uh, Brian Bendis's book on writing comics. So yeah, yeah. sorry about that. Uh, yeah, sometimes I forget uh, to mention yeah people's full names. But back to Strange Adventures issue two just came out last week. And it really was an examination of Mr. Terrific. We get a little more information about what might have happened out uh, on Ron and, and uh, the, the attacking alien force. Yes. But in a lot of ways, too, it really was kind of setting up where Mr. Terrific is coming from, I guess. And yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Talk I mean, about the, that. I mean, there are two leads to this book. We've said that in the beginning. And I, I think it's confusing because Strange Adventures has the word strange in it. So everyone thinks it's an Adam Strange book, but it is, it's, it's, it's an Adam Strange, Mr. Terrific book. And each of them have equal time as the lead. And I think Alana Strange probably has equal time too. So you might see as it's sort of a triple book. Uh, and so the way the book works is, as you'll see going forward, is uh, the odd numbered issues, you know, one, three, five, will be about Adam Strange's sort of perspective on what's going on. And then the even issues will be Mr. Terrific's perspective. So it'll, it'll go back and forth between them. Because the book is set up sort of like, I mean, like the Billions TV show where it's like there's, um, there's, there's two protagonists who are utterly at odds with each other. Um, and, and sort of as that goes forward, it gets more and more stressful for each of them. Uh, so, so, yeah, so this was our first introduction to Mr. Terrific. Uh, we, you know, uh, Mitch is uh, a son of... Um, Minnesota and Minneapolis. And so when I asked him way so long ago, like, where should this take place? Like, where should Mr. Terrific have his headquarters? We decided it would be in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, and so w when we drew this um, story about sort of a black man training in, Min in, in Minnesota, and then, you know, everything that happened, it, it was a little surreal. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, I the, the idea behind these books I do, Strange Adventures, Mr. Miracle, um, and it started, it started way back in Grayson, was DC Comics has these incredible heroes that need, that can be elevated to become, um, I don't know, like elevated to become in the consciousness of America. Uh, and one of the things we want to do with this book was to elevate Adam Strange and to elevate 
Mr. Terrific to be sort of those those heroes that you know every kid can sort of think of and be like, who's awesome in the GCU? And, I, uh, I love Mr. Terrific. I love Michael Holt. I think it's a great uh, reboot uh, and legacy character to Terry Sloan. Uh, and they do even more with Michael Holt. I like the idea of how intelligent he is. Loved when he was leading the JSA. Yeah. Loved when he was uh, checkmate, checkmate with Rucka. Well, and, I uh, love that Rucka checkmate. Here, Michael <laughs> Fairback with uh, an awesome avatar of uh, Stumpy Peep, uh, the paper from uh, Spinal Tap. I have a feeling we'll never see T-Spheres in the same way again by the end of Strange Adventures. Mr. Terrific in issue two is struggle, loneliness, iron will was palpable. Quite agree. And also, am I right, Tom? A little felt uh, a little bit like Star Trek Four when Spock is quizzing himself. Come on, man. Absolutely correct. How do you feel? That is <laughs> that is not how is that relevant? How do you feel? <laughs> I love that. I love that whole thing. And forgive me, <laughs> Discovery fans, flies in the face of how they have depicted Mr. Spock. I'm sorry. I don't buy that that's the same character. I'm like, no, this is a really smart guy who has never had, uh, you know, the, the developmental problems that are suggested in Star Trek Discovery. I don't believe it. I that's haven't seen point. what you're referring to, so I don't have to get involved in this controversy. <laughs> well, that's, well, I look forward and to you finally How smart did you? You've only seen the first season, I guess, then. Saw the first season and saw Picard. All right. Uh, yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm be quiet. I know. Be quiet now and respect <laughs> my fellow writers. Man, I'll tell you. Heart. If, if, if you guys haven't watched or listened to it, I had Mark Bernardin on last Thursday. Man, I really like Mark, and I love what he's doing with the uh, nerdologues, uh, getting the celebrities to do great uh, speeches from great TV shows and great films. But I had to ask him about second season of Picard because he's writing it. And, uh, you know, and he was great and managed to give a very interesting qu uh, answer to what might be happening in season two without spoiling and his philosophy of what he wants to do writing uh, Star Trek Picard. And it make, it gives me hope. And hope is what we need in these Star Trek stories. So that's 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 great to uh, know. Hey, brain will be downloaded into a clone. That is the hope. <laughs> Robot. Uh, Tim, <laughs> Russ's, Tim Russ's birthday today, Tuvok. Oh, happy birthday. So that's awesome. And by the way, as I said... Tuvok proves you don't have to be uh, somebody in the Sarek family to be an interesting Vulcan. And thank God that, like, you know, we actually got, you know, seven seasons of another Vulcan that doesn't have to be Spock's brother or, or Sarek's son or whatever, or daughter for that. I feel you. I feel you trying to drag me into this controversy. Can't help it. Can't help it. it. Jesus. Um, oh, here's something interesting. Yeah, Tom, what was the most challenging aspect of writing comics? What is? The most rewarding also. And what's your, your favorite page of original comic art that you own? Those are three really good questions. Ooh, I love all three of those questions. I'll leave those up so we don't forget them. The most challenging part of writing comics. Oh, I want to be honest here. Um, uh, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me start. I'll get to that question because I'm thinking about it. Okay. Favorite page of original art I own. Oh, man, I'm looking at my art now. Let's see. What's... But, and I got a Alex Toth splash. I love that's wow. Thing. From from what is your Toth splash? Oh, it's from a comic that never got. It was like a military comic that he just made for the mill, like one of those sort of special. Oh, cool! Comics. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like that's awesome. Something. Um, I have a Bloom. I was a huge Bloom County family. Uh, Bloom County Stan as a child. That was my favorite thing. Outstanding. 
Um, I have, I mean, I've told a story a thousand times, but I have a page from the whatever happened to the man of tomorrow, which is my favorite super comic book story of all time. I don't know, but favorite page. I, don't know, I just got, I just got a page which I love. Here, I'll show it to you. Oh, I can't you. frame anything. I just got a Jack Kirby romance page. Wow. Just, is it from? Uh, how pretty that is. Oh, that's awesome. Is that from like, uh, was it Crestfield? I forget the name of the publisher. No, where... that's, that's, that's Marvel Comics. Oh, it's from Marvel. That's great. Because um... That's 1962. That's him doing Fantastic Four while he's doing romance comics. Outstanding. That's great. Uh, with Vince Coletta, who uh, people are is uh, everyone hates Vince Coletta. I love Vince Coletta. I think he he um, wasn't he did not ink everything, but what he inked was very pretty. I agree, and a, and a great good girl artist, as they call them, uh, a great romance artist, a great Wonder Woman artist on his own. And uh, yeah, I agree. I think he is a complicated guy and deserves the knocks that he gets, but doesn't very get much. enough credit. He was a weirdo, and uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but a great but, artist, great, but also a great artist. Also great, and, I've, and I'm sure he wasn't drawing it all himself because he would like turn around 20 pages in a night. So who knows who the actual Vince Coletta is? That's fair. But, um, but yeah, I just I love that page. I like. I don't know. Yeah, I have a I have an original, a very rare uh, Mitch Garrett's original here from Strange, which is just well, sitting here. Who did that one? That's it's a Mitch. Mitch. Oh, that's Mitch Garrett's. Mitch Garrett, who draws everything digitally. So to have a. Who, who's that of? Is that that's not Adam, is it? This is Adam. This is the cover to his book. Which oh, I, that's Adam. That's the cover to Adam's book. The cover to Adam's book. I love it because he looks like such the perfect. He's both the most heroic guy, and also you can kind of tell he's a little douchey. Yeah, no, there's definitely a lot going on in that face. I agree. It is utterly perfect. I stare at it when I write my comics. We should mention uh, a tease for Wednesday night. Because uh, Tom will be back on Wednesday on Word Balloon Live along with me. Doc Shaner and Mitch Garrett. Well, uh, you know, Tom, honestly, is, and I appreciate you doing tonight because um, you and I talked right before the pandemic hit, like right after C2E2. And I've since, like, you know, my, my video chops have gotten better. And, hey, man, I love when you come back. We had the great Colombo discussion with Mike Cronenberg. We had a lot of fun playing another round of movie trivia with the Benson sisters. But like you and I haven't had a chance to do one of these where it's just me and you talking. So this is I, I appreciate you coming out tonight. You know. Uh, well, I say is you used to be my favorite comic book podcast. You are now my favorite all time com podcast. Uh, during this coronavirus, like you know, I'm a, I love sports podcasts. I listen. I, I, it's like it's where I go to relax because there's no stakes for me. I don't really give a fuck. Sure. But I, but I listen to them constantly, so I know like, oh man, what a controversy in hockey happened yesterday. Because um, I can't listen to comics and even movies stress me out. But since I, but uh, and now there's no sports podcasts. It's it's. I mean, it's the same. I, I still listen to one. I still listen to PTI every day. The same thing. They're like, will baseball start tomorrow? No, great. It's like the same fucking thing. Every day. <laughs> um, but so having lot like and and I'm not too into pop culture stuff because I don't need someone to recommend me 60 things to write. It's what every pop culture because I have again the three children and uh, and the right. I don't have time to stream anything. So, uh, so I've just been listening to you constantly. I love your stuff. I love how you highlight comics. I love how you get people to talk. Um, so yeah, you, you, you've taken me through. I, I mean, if, if you've, you have really take, I was in a bad place when this began just in terms of, you know, it was a lot of anxiety, you know, it's a tough time. Sure. And you, you were one of the things that really helped me get through this. So I, I mean, whenever oh, you, 
Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I have no. Come on, I do in my ear the whole time, and I can't thank you enough. You're you're doing you're doing God's. I know it seems bizarre because you're a podcaster, but to me, it's very important. Why aren't you writing a podcast, Mister King? <laughs> you assume I'm not. Exactly. It <laughs> I is got it on the screen behind here. Actually, I was going for this one. Uh, more movie trivia with Julia, Sean, and Tom, please. Yeah, man. No, it's going to happen. Definitely. I wrote a great line today. In the, I was I was working on the movie today. I'm back working on the movie, and I wrote a great line, so I can put it there. So I, I'm sure it won't be in the movie. So I probably could tell. No, thanks a lot. And uh, seriously, man, that means a lot. And and truly, everyone has been. So many people have been incredibly kind. Nice emails and nice, uh, you know, uh, comments and messages back saying thanks for doing as many shows as you've been doing because that was my concern i'm like am i doing am i throwing too much out there but it's cathartic for me it's very social for me because we can't see each other at shows or even you know god even the local community it's tough to get a hold of everybody and uh you know so it's it's my pleasure to do these and uh, have these great conversations with everybody and i mean this is the benefit of having done this for 15 years that i've Got a nice, uh, as as Mark Bernard and I were laughing at the uh, reference of Rolodexes, but you know, you know, yeah. So I've got I've got my creators that I can call them, and 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 you know, really, also creators have been contacting me and saying, "Hey, I'd love to talk. I got this coming out or whatever." And yeah, man, I'll help pump the product. But regardless, it's like let's have a good conversation and then and, and and keep things light during these very weird, sad times. I mean, it's uh, it, it means a lot. So when people are actually saying it as well on the on the chat too, I, I appreciate that, everybody. Truly. Oh, now this is uh, here. Now I know you guys have done uh, a Batman arc or two, but when will we get a Tom King, Joel Jones book? That would be great never. to see. More we will never get that book. Do you know why? Cause stupid Joel Jones, the goddamn writer now and, and does her own thing. And she deserves every bit of success. And she's a wonderful person and a brilliant artist. And I would kill someone to work with her, but she, she Joel Jones writes for the best writer for Joel Jones, who is Joel Jones. So, um, I think the better question is when will Joelle Jones make her Dark Knight Returns, and that's what I want to see more than I want to see her do mine. I think I'm I think for it. she could do a. I want her to do a Frank Miller level graphic novel esque thing. I think the well, thing you know, and I mean, God, a lot of uh, her her creator own stuff is amazing too. But I agree with you, man. I, I, I think Jones, um, oh God, what's that called? The 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 sixties killer woman lady killer lady killer I have a I'm staring at it right now I have a yep. original on my wall uh, yeah I, I I got very lucky I caught Joelle on her upswing um, before and and got to do a few issues with her sort of before she became uh, super too huge for me to do so and this is why I discourage all artists from writing please stop so stop Mitch I was no, talking to Lee weeks the other day. Fucking Lee was like, I'm doing this story. I wrote it myself. I was like, no, that's a bad idea, Lee. Lee. Weeks. Three weeks, yeah. That's hilarious. Like, oh, yes, it's horrible. The, the, you, losing an artist to, to, to them writing themselves. Because there's no defense. You can't be like, ah, no, that's a shitty writer. He talks behind your back. No, it's you. You have nothing. Um, Very so, funny, man. Oh, that's no. true. Hey, Larry, Lady Killer just got a nice new hardcover. That's absolutely true. And it's co-written by uh, Jamie Rich, who is my editor on everything I do. Oh, I didn't know that. I, that's I always forget that Jamie's at DC now and everything. Man, I, Jamie's another great editor that I appreciate appreciate his taste, uh, and also uh, I, I'm usually working with uh, some of my favorite creators. So that doesn't surprise me. That's well, you awesome. Were, you were talking to Denny about sort of what it's like to be an editor, and, and one of the differences is a lot of editors today have not written. 
like they used to in the past or drawn a lot of, you know, Ross Andrew was an editor and obviously people like That's that. Right. And, and Hubert. Um, but yeah, Jamie, has, Jamie has written, um, he's had his own comics. And so I think that is immensely helpful an editor to sort of be someone who had dealt with deadlines. And um, yeah, I, I, I work uh, almost exclusively for, exclusively for Jamie. Um, and we've worked together for five years. So, yeah. He's the best. That's awesome. Oh, here, John Watson says it was great meeting you, uh, at Boston Comic Con a few years ago. Thanks for being so cool and humble. I didn't, ask, I didn't answer the most challenging and rewarding comment. I didn't answer those questions. Oh, that's yeah. true. Oh, oh, the most challenging part of writing comics. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you some challenges, then I'll have to rank them afterwards. Um, uh, a challenge is uh, getting the cliches out. Like, I was thinking today, like, like how, how writing a story is is you're like, oh man, how do I write this? And then the first thing that pops in your head is a cliche and you love it. You fall in love with that cliche. Um, and then you have to tell yourself, fuck it, you can't use that because that's the number. And I've used cliches, don't get me wrong. I don't want to say like, I'm, I'm perfect. I've done, I've done, I think I've done six scenes where someone's you know almost dying and gives meaningful last words. I mean, I've done it. Uh, but, um, but getting the cliches out of your work is very challenging. Um, I really, I mean, all honesty, the, the most challenging aspect of comics is when you fall in love with your writing. And sometimes you do. Uh, it happens less in, now, but you fall in love with something. You say, this is good. I made something good. And an editor tells you it's not. Um, and, and you have to make a decision at that point. Uh, especially, and it's really, especially hard in the earlier in your career. Do how much do you push back? Um, and making that decision in terms of like, I know this is good, but if I push back, I could lose this gig. Um, or if I push back, I could alienate this person. And um, and sometimes you're fucking wrong. Sometimes you think it's good and you're in love with it and it's terrible. And they're just, they're the ones slapping you in the face and telling you, like we just did, did that issue too for Strange Adventures. Most of my issues are very sort of lightly edited. That was heavily edited where Jamie came in and said, you know, you wrote this the first time it was a swing and a miss. Um, let's try this again. And it was very hard to me sort of, but I remember being angry on the phone, being like, oh, no, I, did, I wrote this perfectly. What are you talking about? And he's like, no, dude, it's, it's not there. And, and sort of recognizing that and being like, oh, he's right. It's not there. And we made the adjustments needed to make that issue something I'm super proud of. If the first version of that issue had come out, it would have been more, much more masturbation much more in my head instead of something more welcoming. Interesting. Um, so, so, so knowing, the most part challenging thing is knowing when you've written something shitty, I think is the best way to put it when to fight for the good and when to accept that you've messed up. How about that? That's very, that. okay. Very interesting. Hey, Gore Vidal pays me an incredibly kind comment and says uh, that my interviews remind him of stud Turkle's interviews. That is incredibly high praise. Uh, oh, I, guy. I, I had the pleasure of getting to know studs on a very acquaintance level in two different occasions. He came to our station and spent the afternoon with us and was hilarious and tremendous. And it was so great because even in the 90s, you had yahoos who are like, that guy's a communist. And we're like, what? Oh, I'm sorry, because he speaks his mind. He's a communist. Okay. And also, uh, uh, I interviewed him for my Jack Dempsey, Gene Tunney documentary. And that was amazing. And, I've, and I'm a massive fan of his. There's an archive from Chicago Public Radio documenting a lot of his interviews that he did, he was on the classical music station and interviewed everybody from Mahalia Jackson, the great gospel singer to Laurie Anderson. I mean, <laughs> just incredible 50 years of interviews and, and just was, and, you know, he wrote the great book, 
the oral history working and several other great oral histories. Closing. And, and yet I, I got to, I got to go to his house in the one afternoon and uh, <laughs> he's in his eighties. His son is living with him who is in his sixties. So these two very sweet men, they offer me a drink. I'm sitting down and he has this model ship in his, in his living room, a wow. big luxury liner. And I'm like, oh, what's that? He's like, oh, that's supposed to be the Titanic. You know, I was born the year that it sank. And I'm like, oh, 1911. That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> but he was he was a kid listening to the radio when Jack Dempsey fought Gene Tunney here oh. in Chicago in 1927. I mean, what a life. And truly, what a fascinating man. So that, that honestly, Gore, that's incredibly high praise. And that's why I forgive me for making it about me for five seconds. But no, uh, that's, that's incredible. Awesome. And, and, and true. And it's true. Uh, I, I would say Stud Circle um, is referenced in Mr. Miracle. Uh, in Mr. Miracle three or four, um, uh, Mr. Miracle tells us it says there's a story Big Bar, um, Granny Goodness would tell them every Christmas, which is this um, uh, a horrible story of um, these sort of ho- this, this family that was hiding this, this sort of Holocaust. And how the how the daughter accidentally confessed to the teacher that the family was home, um, and then they they came and, and killed the family, and it's it's a horrible terrible story, and, and, and ends with a Merry Christmas. And I, I stole that from Studs Terkel. It was it was a, it was a real Holocaust story that Studs Terkel had tracked down and gotten for an interview. So so it, it influenced Mr. Miracle. That's awesome, man. He uh, when he when he was in his late eighties, somebody broke in his house to rob him. And it was, and and they took money. But before the thief left, he's like, you got to leave me 20 bucks. And he goes, what are you talking about? He's like, I'm an old man. He goes, you can have the cash that's here. Just give me enough money to get to the bank tomorrow so I can get money. You're not going to leave me like completely helpless, are you? And the the, the guy left him 20 bucks. He's like, fine, here. (laughs) And that's it. Studs was fearless. He saw it all. And he he was not afraid. And And I love that about him. The guy was just. So so tough as nails. He's in the movie Eight Men Out. He plays one of the sports writers uh, during the Black Sox scandal and stuff. And oh my god, I I, I do I absolutely adore him. So that's uh, yeah, he was the best. He really was. And seriously, like it meant so much because he's like, ah, oh, you're a good broadcaster, John. And I'm like, well, thank you, Mr. Turkle. That really means oh. a lot. Thank you, thank well, you. You are. You deserve it. Yeah. I, sure. I got I got mugged my first day in Washington D.C. Twenty years ago. God, I'm old. Jesus. Uh, I had been coming, and I, I, I went to school in New York City. So, like, I had come, from, and I grew up in LA. So, I'm not from a small. So, and I was, oh, liter- I was literally on the way um, from my new apartment. I was running the Justice Department at the time. I started the next day, and I was on my way to buy toilet paper, and I had all the cash I had to buy because there was no toilet paper. And uh, two guys came up to me, and um, the white dudes, and, and uh, uh, they had their hand in their pocket, pointing it at me. And um, and they, they asked for my money and and they asked for my wallet and I it was obviously a fake gun whatever and I gave them my my wallet and I I remember for no I have no idea I was twenty one at the time and I asked for my license back I was like hey if you're gonna take my wallet can I just have my license I'm gonna go to the DMV and they're like all right, all right you can take this. and they actually gave me my license back and then I said well can I have the credit cards and you can keep the cash. Like I was negotiating with the muggers. I had no idea where I had that ball. So, so me and studs have something in common that we negotiate. <laughs> That's outstanding. Here's a good question. What do you find so compelling about comic books versus other forms of storytelling? Oh, uh, um, 
I don't know. And I love them. So I think about that question. Like when I'm, I was talking to my wife the other day about um, comics and, and, and writing movies and sort of TV. And I was like, my room, I, mean, I wish you, I mean, this is, this is not a lie. This is my room. It's just full of comics. You don't see TV posters. You don't see movie posters. It's, That's why I pulled back, Tom, honestly, was to give yeah people a better sense of the room rather That's than what, what we close to the close up. Like you can see, I mean, it's got yeah. graphic novels over there, and there's art. And if you could see above here, it's just all comic book art. Um, and I have, you know, comic book on the, there's, you know, you look down, there's a, I have, you know, I mean, auto bender biography. You know, it's like, this, this is what, oh, man, that's a great is, book. This is what I do. And on the other side, I mean, this is, you know, there's Adam's. So it's like, yeah, yeah. I love this that. is my love. I have no idea why it appeals to me, pictures and words together, why that so always has had. I mean, I mean, there's obvious reasons. The most obvious is um, uh, it, it hits that central spot for me where when I look at two pictures, my brain, you know, merges them into an action, um, and 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 in, in, and it's and there's a thrill from it. Like I just I don't look at them as pictures; they start moving in my mind, and I and I start hearing the voices, and I start. And, and it, it creates this thing that's better than a movie to me. And it's better than reading a book because when you're reading a book, you don't quite get that same sort of picture. You're always aware that you're reading a book. When, when I read a comic book, I can disappear into a world in a way I, I don't do in any other medium. Um, so I think that's part of it is, is that it engages just the right amount of imagination for me. It hits some sort of sweet spot. Um, but, I, but honestly, I mean, I think what makes comic books special at the end of the day, and I'm, I'm, I'm um, is is that it is just a piece of trash art. It is, <laughs> I don't yeah. know, it's, like it's it's an utterly throwaway art form. Um, that and, and so in that way, it's fucking punk. You know, it's just like yes. there there in movies, in in TV, in books, there is the idea that um, there's so much space between you and the creator. The creator is putting on a show for you in some sort of way. And, 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 and once comic book, that space is just torn. It's torn. These are desperate men trying to make their fucking rent by making stories for children and men and women. And, uh, and I find that to be just utterly endearing. I find that to be this. It's, it's, um, uh, I mean, uh, I fanboy makes a joke about, you know, talking to um, Keith Giffen, you know, what is comic books? And he's like, it's just vaudeville, you know, like, but it's, that's what it is. It's modern day vaudeville. It's guys trying to make a living, just throwing everything they can. Cause I, you know, I, I went, I went in to talk to the movie guys about, you know, Batman movie and all that stuff. And, and they're, you know, they're like, they have this little idea and this little idea. And I was like, do you realize I have to write 50 stories a, a year? Like I, every week I have to come up with a new story that's a beginning, a middle and an end. You're talking about doing one story every three years. Like, like to do that, you have to be so on your toes in a way that um, you're just, you're in touch with your audience in a way that you don't get with novels. And I've, I've written novels. I've written for TV. You're, the, there's no art form where the creator is closer to the audience than comics. Uh, here's a good question from uh, Will. Is there a DC historian on staff you could chat with when researching a character, or is it just your job to Google it and discuss with your editor? I know, I know and, and I'm sure you'll talk about the fact that when, like, for instance, you want to do an Adam Strange thing, obviously the entire Adam Strange run in its various incarnations is at your disposal and you can get access to that. But is there, like, a, a like, like the way Brevoort at, I know, Marvel is certainly like a, a guru 
that they can go to for history and stuff like that. I mean, there is a DC librarian who you could talk to who's very good. Um, but okay, this is arrogant Tom now. Uh, you know, I'm in my 42nd year of life here, and I spent <laughs> I spent a good 35 of those reading comics and comic book history. So I'm very I'm not expert on anything else at all in the world. I don't don't don't, don't talk about music or baseball or even though I've spent attention even movies I don't I spend attention I feel like I know comic books pretty well and if I don't know I know where to get them. Uh, oh yeah, Julian Lytle. Yeah, <laughs> except that that's a good point. All right, I was being too modest. The, Julian Lytle, if you guys don't know, um, you should follow him on Twitter. He's the smartest guy in comics. I, I do have I have friends I talk to about comics when I start something out. One of them is Julian Lytle. He's the smartest man I've ever talked to about comic books and pop culture. Um, another is Daryl Taylor. Um, uh, I, I talk to him about everything. I always talk about comics and as a DC Comics nerd. Um, another is uh, Chris Kazicki, who runs a store up in Boston. Just like fans and guys who know a ton of history. And I talk to you, John, and I talk to, um, you know, <laughs> I talk, I, once a week I call Josh Williamson. And who Josh Williamson knows every single piece of gossip that ever happened in the history of comics. So and so we 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 talk about that. So um, no, I, I don't go to DC for that kind of institutional history. I go to my friends and to my books more than I would okay. officially. Yeah, like when uh, I first started on Strange Adventures, I got this thing, this big massive. I asked DC to send this to me, and they sent yeah, it to me. It, did Evan do the cover for that? Did Doug Shaner do that cover? Uh, no, I think that's Michael Cho. Okay. Michael Cho's also awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Um, but, uh, uh, but I immediately started writing and realizing I hated the colors. <laughs> I, I just can't take the, you know, when they recolor these old books, you lose the, or, or the, uh, sort of. Yeah, there was nothing wrong with the, uh, the original palette. I, yeah, I, the I agree with that. And then started going to cons and getting the actual old Silver Age stuff. I'm totally. Oh, you know, it's interesting. I'm in my drawers now, but I, uh, I, I, I one of the comics that I missed, one of the mini series in the early '90s, was a great King Faraday story that Len Wein wrote. In uh, it was called. It was in a. Len Wein was so good. It was called. Yeah, it was called Danger Trail, and I guess that was the old '50s title where King Faraday first originally appeared. And I'm a I'm a massive King Faraday uh, fan. So you're the master King Faraday fan. I am, and well, and and I, I mean, it's easy to mistake him for a Nick Fury clone, but actually, he was doing spy stuff when Nick Fury was still Sergeant. Well, even prior to, to the existence, because Sergeant Fury didn't have until the '60s. King Faraday goes back to the '50s. Yep. So uh, yeah, so I'm a, I'm a big fan. Rocket checkmate run. Also in the rocket checkmate. Run. Say it again. Rocket checkmate run. We were talking about Mr. Terrific earlier. Yep. If you want yep. to Nick Faraday stories. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so I but it was interesting reading that because um the storytelling from an art standpoint was a little hinky and also the colors were too dark, which I found kind of interesting. And it was back on Newsrag, it was early 90s, DC. So it was it, I found it kind of interesting to uh to compare that to the modern product. And I'm like, man, this is really dark and everything. So that that surprised me. Um here I'm looking at other uh oh here uh, oh that's funny. <laughs> Savior forever. I love your work on deceased, Tom Taylor. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Fucking Tom Taylor, man. That guy outsells me by two to one. He doesn't need my help at all. It's brilliant. He's, I, he's I, great. 
Tom ended up stepping up and doing that Batman Annual 3 because then his health sort of faded. So, yeah, and he did a brilliant job at it. I love that guy. He's so fucking nice, too. He's really just one of Oh, he's a sweetheart. People. Absolutely, man. No. And, uh, yeah, and it's uh, – man, again, there's a guy that hasn't been to an American con in a couple of years. Uh, and no, I, he wants him at a – He's been at a bunch lately. He's going. He's 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 big. Not that everyone's anyone going to con again, but you'll see. Him. Right. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, Kitty asks an interesting question. How do you make something canon? I, I, writers do not make things canon. This is my revelation. Uh, readers make them canon. Uh, uh, what what counts is what's good. That's 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 that is. Um, I I I worked on my fair example of this. I, I worked on an Omega Men series. Uh, yeah, and, and it was in New Fifty Two. We were still all in New Fifty Two continuity, and uh, actually, I have two examples of this. And um, and I went back, and I was like, "Oh, nobody's done any Omega Man. I'm I'm in the clear because I can do whatever I want because it's New Fifty Two, so I can reinvent them however I want because that's what New Fifty Two was about." And and I started to do that, and then I realized, "Holy shit! They actually had made made an appearance. They had made it like an early appearance in." Um, a Rob Le- no, I love Rob Liefeld's art, and I love him as a personality. But in, in his sort of his early Hawk and Dove stuff, and um, and I mean, just to put it politely, they didn't catch the audience's attention. And I looked at this, I was like, if I write this, it's going to conflict with this. Will anyone care? And nobody cared because nobody because it wasn't it didn't it didn't hook into people. And so that stuff became not continuity. And you know, God bless him, my Omega Men did hook into people, and so that became continuity. And I, I think what becomes continuity is what's good. Like the the, the readers the readers decide what is canon, um, and the readers will push out what's not canon. And if, if the readers say that Jason Todd has to die, then he dies. If the readers think Jason Todd can come back, then he can come back. That's 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 the way canon works for me. I like it. Um, someone asked earlier, and forgive me, I'm, I was looking for the question now, but I can't find it. Uh, how much religion plays into your storytelling? I mean, a ton. Um, I just wrote a story for Mitch that's like, I finished it and I was like, man, this is a very Christian story. It was about a priest and you know, had to, I was, you know, I did some parable work. Yeah. Um, it, it, play, it plays a lot. I wasn't raised very religiously. Like I said, um, my, my mother was a non-practicing um, a, a, a Jewish woman and my father was, I, and my, my father's sort of walked out on me when I was or walked out on the family when I was seven. Um, I was partially raised by his mother, my grandmother. So she was a semi-practicing Protestant. Um, but I never went to church. I never went to temple. I'm not bar mitzvahed. I'm not confirmed. Um, but I, I, I deeply respect religion. Like I, I, um, like to me when you're in a church and you sort of, and someone says the right thing and you look up, there's something just brilliant and true in that. And when I was in college, I was, um, I, I got really into theology. I was a philosopher. One of my, I was, one of my majors was philosophy. And so I did a lot of reading and sort of, you know, Aquinas and Anselm and um, sort of the, the medieval, all the guys everyone would criticize for angels on a pin. So I, I, I Martin Luther and all, all these guys, mm-hmm. uh, I got really into that and sort of into that sort of, um, uh, so yeah, I mean, and then that stuff still does influence me. My wife used to say that all my books are about guns and God. <laughs> Interesting. Um, and uh, that might that yeah that might still be true. You know, I don't know. Wow. Very um, cool. Yeah, man. yeah. And I, and I I try to be you know I wrote a whole Batman. You know, Lee Weeks will proudly tell you that he's a practicing Christian. Indeed. Um, and Lee and I did a whole you know sort of series about sort of 
whether Batman believes in God and in, in, in um, uh, Batman 51 through 53. Yeah. Um, and, and to do that and to be respectful, of both Lee's beliefs and my own, I believe in the transcendent, but I don't have any specific religion. I, I, I followed. So to sort of balance those two things, I was really proud of that sort of story. Yeah. Interesting. Very cool, man. You know, we've been going two hours. If you want to wrap it's after midnight your time. I know that it's almost one year time. I'll answer any other questions. I'm fine. You know, I'm cool. Uh, I mean, I mean, no, I have tons of stuff to do. What are we talking about? Like, I'm going to I'm going to the club in about half an hour. Um, yeah. <laughs> What's the deal with Mitch Garrett's and Pappy Van Winkle? He's giving the starving artist of cliche a bad name. Pappy Van Winkle. Pappy yeah, Van know. Winkle. I don't, I don't get the reference. I, I love questions to me. What's the deal with Mitch Garrett's? There's so many deals with that guy. Well, first of all, he shaved off his beard, and now he can uh, pretend to be Carl Urban and get wow. better treatment at conventions. Oh. <laughs> He's a good-looking guy, right? He's a very good-looking guy. They uh, cracked me up when he, when he shaved the beard. I'll tell you the deal of Mitch here, and we'll talk about this more on Wednesday when he comes on. Yes. Both Mitch and Doc, who are my good friends, have for two weeks now been working on some Bendis Legion of Superheroes issue that he just announced this week, where Bendis is trying to steal my artist, and now they're my – Artists who should be working hard on on strange adventures are sending me Bendis art, and I and I'm I'm incredibly resentful of this, and I think he's trying to steal them. So that's the deal with them. And by the way, I've seen the art for Legion of Superheroes issue, both Doc and Mitch's, and it's beautiful. So fuck you, Brian, for having beautiful art. <laughs> Here's a good question: We don't talk enough about your Superman run with Eddie Kubert up in the sky. Someone asked me, I asked earlier, no, and I'm no. assuming based. I mean, we we did talk about it mid run. But um, someone asked earlier, too, and I'm assuming based on one of your chapters in your Superman story that they'd love to see you do Sergeant Rock. And I think your, your story with Superman and Sergeant Rock was terrific in that, in that run. But, yeah, talk a little more about working with Andy Kubert on that, uh, on that Walmart book that now is, is – it, it has been collected. Am I right? It has been collected. It's in hardcover. It's probably the best thing I wrote last year, if you want my opinion on my own writing of the last year. Uh, and – uh, I could not be more proud of that book. It's the only book my children have read because it's somewhat all ages. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's it's um, yeah, it's it's my favorite thing I wrote last year. And talking about Andy, I mean, what can I say about Andy? He's um, I, I was talking to my wife this weekend because so I'm done with sort of this this current generation of books. I like to do three books at a time, and I'm getting to be almost done with them, even though none of them have come out. Um, so I'm working on the next generation of books, the th sort of three follow-ups now. Like I'm writing pitches for them and sort of deciding what to do next. Okay. And my wife and I are talking about artists and like which artists I like to work with, which I don't. And I was pointing out that when I've worked with a guy who's a superstar artist, when I first encountered – like right now Mitch is a superstar artist. Clay is a superstar artist. When I first encountered him, they were not that status. Um, even Lee Weeks, when I first encountered him, for some reason, even though he had done brilliant work on so many books, at that time he wasn't – a superstar, which blows my mind. Um, but when I've worked with guys like David Finch and Tony Daniels, who are wonderful and have done wonderful work with me, I, we don't sort of click always on this that level. I, I can't explain what what it is or why. Uh, and I was I was I was talking to my wife about how I, I had to sort of improve myself if I want. I, I got to figure out how to make that work better, just as as a writer. Um, and then my wife said, well, what about Andy Kubert? And I was like, oh, yeah, well, that's an exception. I was, I was like, I was like, with Andy, it was just an immediate click. I, he's, 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 a, he's a superstar. He's one of the, you know, I, I, his father is one of the founding fathers. And then, you know, he, if you made a comic book, um, 
uh, Hall, Hall of Fame, he'd be an original member. If um, uh, Mount Rushmore, you could easily throw him up there. And uh, and Andy is the sort of the youngest son. It's very funny. You can find old Joe Cuba comics where he drew his whole family. He's a little baby Andy. And um, but uh, he's 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 just he's this guy from Jersey. He lives in L.A. now. He's so chill. He's got a dog. His wife is super kind. And and we immediately clicked. You reminded me of my uncle. And um, and 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 it was I don't know. I mean, it was it's probably the it was it was like putting a knife through butter it was just the easiest process i've ever done um whatever you gave him he turned it andy breaks every single thing he does every single thing i hate it comic artists do he, i i like uh, comics that are in boxes love them i like comics that are just one box after another you know obviously i've done a billion times three panels yeah. nine panels whatever i just like one thing in a row and he's like, fuck that. You know, he comes from, um, you know, he grew up in the fucking 90s when he was just threw a splash page here and a splash page there and a splash page there. And, and I, I hate that on the record because I think it's hard to tell a story that way. I think the eye doesn't sort of go one-to-one. -one. But Andy is a master. He is, uh, he's, he's like a Mozart of telling stories. And he does it exactly right. And he can play on that level like nobody else can play. Um, and so... Uh, when I read his stuff, what Andy does better than anybody else is you'll give Andy four panels and he'll turn, he'll shrink three of them down and turn the fourth one into a splash. And nobody, I, I don't work with any other artist that does that. And it's brilliant every time he picks the exact right panel. He puts the other panels so they get enough equal time for your words and makes the splash count. Um, and yeah, I'd, I'd work with Andy till the end, till, till the end of time. He's, he's doing a project now. And I'm, as soon as he's over with that, I'm going to try to, to get him on anything. Cause, oh, that's um, great. Yeah, he, he tells he's I mean I mean you can look at I mean I bought an entire issue from Andy. I bought the, the boxing issues up my wall in that. Oh, time. that's great. And again, one of my favorite yeah. issues. And Mike Cronenberg is laughing yeah. how you uh had uh, Michael Holt uh, sparring in uh issue two of Strange Adventures. And oh I'm, yeah, you guys doing boxing. boxing you're writing, absolutely. You know that. We're so doing more boxing, yeah. That Andy you know, you know the Andy, you know, that up in the sky has that weird sort of storytelling thing that Andy and I did that nobody noticed. Every single page is a new scene. Um, so if that's a very difficult way to tell a story and you don't, and if you read it, you don't even notice, but that's, that's how good Andy is. Well, this dovetails into a question Ari asked earlier. I'm glad you're asking it again, Ari. Uh, do you have any scripts posted? I'd love to practice drawing them. I'm sure they're challenging in the fact that your books incorporate a lot of stunning visual storytelling. Uh, I have, um, you can find scripts in the absolute vision. There's, there's scripts, um, which is a beautiful hardcover that Marvel did. And there's a bunch of my scripts in there. You can find scripts in the Mr. Miracle. I think there's some scripts in there. I've done some zero issues or what we call them, um, director's cut issues. I've done them for, for Batman and for Mr. Miracle. You can find my scripts in there. Um, the best place though is that vision hardcover. I think there's the most. And what they did with the vision hardcover is they put the script and they put the art right next to it. So you can see like um, Gabriel's layouts and then his finished art next to the script. So probably that's the best way. My scripts are very spare. You'd have fun drawing them. They're very much like, you know, Batman punches Mr. Fr Freeze in his stupid face, like that kind of stuff. It's not like Batman's fist slowly goes into his face and you can see three pieces of glass. No, they're very spare. Sparse. Not spare. Sparse. Um, all right. There's two Kite Man questions. Oh, one, good. I love Kite Man. They want to include Kite Man and Strange Adventures. I don't think oh, I know that. That's my buddy there. Uh, would you ever uh, – who do you think would make a good Kite Man for uh, movie casting or TV casting for that matter? 
Oh man, has to be someone who can play the sad sack better than anyone else. <laughs> uh, I don't know who would be a good. I gotta think about that. <laughs> uh, but uh, um, I, I know no, there won't be any more Kite Man. I my editor actually told me my my editor's like Tom, you're done with Kite Man. It's off the table. <laughs> He pulled him for me. Uh, he, he, he said that you, you did what you needed to do, and that, that that character needs to fly on his own wings. And I think that's right. So no more kite man for me. That's hilarious, William Macy. I could see oh, William yeah. thirty William years Macy. playing uh, kite man. Well, uh, now, but I think I could see nineties William Macy being kite man. I'm sorry, my, again, my brain is far. Who's the guy who's in Star Girl now? Who's playing the sidekick? Uh, oh yeah, Luke Wilson. Luke Wilson make a great uh, kite man. I agree with you. I feel like that Luke Wilson vibe would be a good kite man vibe. Yeah, that's funny. Steve Buscemi is kite man says Dave Fowler. Very Steve funny. Buscemi, yeah, exactly. Um, ooh, uh, you know, and also, yeah, you know, uh, Nico, I'm glad you asked this question because I've discussed this with Pat Schumacher. Do you like the portrayal of kite man in the Harley Quinn cartoon? Yes, I enjoy it immensely. Uh, it makes me laugh. I have a T-shirt that says "Hell yeah!" I, I, <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs> I cannot say I. Uh, it's it's very bizarre that that's the legacy, but yes, I, I get immense pleasure out of seeing um, of him. It's funny because I. It's one of those things. It, the difference between comics and and cartoons and, and any other, when I hear the "Hell yeah!" in my head in the comic, it's so. I can see it so perfect. So when I hear in the cartoon, it's not exactly matches my head. So it kind of. It feels just a little bit dissonance, but but besides that, it it I love it. Yeah, I too. It's it's that's seriously that show blew me away. Continues to blow me away. Yeah, it's really funny. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Patrick and I will be talking at the end of season two and uh, doing a, a a talk about the entire second season. We talked after the second episode. We did a we did a short thing, and then when Sci Fi Channel started running the first season, I'm like, you know, a lot of people don't have DC Universe. Let me do episode by episode of season one with Patrick, and and I'm very pleased with those conversations. They're on YouTube. They're on the they're on the um, audio feed of the podcast as well. And uh, yeah, I just I mean Patrick was such a trooper. Literally a month of Sundays every Sunday morning talking to me about like three episodes of Harley Quinn, and so I'm like, okay, that is like ridiculous. I'm not going to tax you anymore. So uh, yeah, and now that's I agree, Denny. Uh, Harley Quinn is a very much like. Venture Brothers and its humor. I would even say even more R-rated than Venture Brothers. And I just am thrilled that the powers upstairs are saying, yeah, okay, go ahead. Hey, how about finger banging? Is that okay to make a joke about that? Sure, go ahead. That's the one thing I don't like about it. I don't, and I actually like this, but but like I feel like my 11, 12-year-old, he's kind of could handle it. It would be it would be a little above his head, but he, you know, when I was I'd seen Robocop at 10. So I mean okay. I, I feel like but like, if my six-year-old found out my eleven-year-old was watching it, I would be in so much trouble because he loves Harley Quinn. My six-year-old. There you go. So, I, mean, yeah. uh, I can't watch it with my kids. That's my one complaint about the show is that yeah. I think I would love for them to see the Kite Man, and I can't show it to them yet. Oh, look at this! Uh, someone noticed in your background uh, those ECs behind your kids' photos. Is that Wally Wood and Frank Frazetta? Uh, it's Frank Frazetta and Wally Wood. Yeah, that's correct. Let me see this. No, no, this is uh, Al Felsen. That's oh, and oh, yeah, I remember when you got that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's felt. But this is this is for Zay. Yeah. Or no, my, my big purchase in my last con. Yeah, that's the one that I remember. The famous funnies of Frazetta. Yes, sir. Absolutely. And this Man. is uh, Al Placino, I believe, who I met in person. I met him before he died. Who'd you meet? 
before you pass Al, away? Al Plastino. Wow, that's fantastic. So, uh, yeah. My favorite so, golden age. I have, I, have, I have some Wallywood over here. I have a lot of weird science around my head. There's some Wallywood for you. For Wallywood. Oh, that's fantastic. My favorite uh, Superman artist of the golden age that nobody talks about is Wynn Mortimer. Love Wynn Mortimer. Oh, my goodness. And he became a great romance artist in the 70s. Yep. He was, uh, and, and he did some great um, uh, Supergirl and Wonder Woman, and he became sort of a good, the sort of DC good girl artist of the early 70s. Yeah, um, and I got some, oh, that's also Wallywood up there. This is my favorite uh, Wallywood cover from Strange Adventures. This one is like underwater. I love it. Oh, that's cool. So, John, I can't, so can I tell you a that. Wallywood story? I don't know if I've told oh, you. Please, that. sure. So, I interviewed. I played John, and I interviewed Marv Wolfman. Did I tell you this before? Go on. And uh, and Mar Marv, um, uh, famous. Did, I feel like I've told this story before. I'm telling. I'm telling it again. You'll hear it again. I'm sorry. You know, video people maybe haven't. Dude, I'm telling you, I, this is what I've discovered. Uh, the audio audience and the video audience. There's some transition, but a lot of people are. Discovering Word Balloon because of the video. So these people may maybe haven't heard the story. Go ahead. Let me tell you, young millennials, what it's like to be over 40. Stories pop in your head, and you know you've told them before. And you know the people listening have already heard them. And yet you find them coming out of your mouth for no reason at all. And you're I saying, why am I telling this story? And I know you've heard it, but I just have to. It's in my brain. And if I don't force it out, then I won't get it's it's it, being 40 is a weird sort of concept. Sorry, Wes. Oh, yes. Uh, I'll tell us what Mara, Mara Wolfman. Uh, um, yeah. uh, right before the interview came out, someone had, had taken a picture of Wallywood's office and blown it up. And they had the hate list on the wall of people he hated and would never talk to again. Marv Wolfman's name was on there. Uh, and he put, he had it hanging up on his wall and got his official author photo with it in the background. That's how fucking crazy Wallywood was. <laughs> Uh, and so I asked, I was like, Marv, I got to ask you, what did you do to get put on this never talk to Marv Wolfman by Wallywood? And Marv said that, that, that um, uh, he saw Wally in the office at some point in the, the late 70s. And uh, he said to him, he said, he said uh, I just want to say, Wally, I really love your EC art. <laughs> and, and that was enough. Because because he didn't say I really love your current stuff. He said wow. I love your old stuff. And because was Wallywood considered all his old stuff to be crap, and he liked his current more, shall we say, pornographic stuff that he I was doing. Say, uh, I bought uh, the Kindle version of his trade that they put out in the last couple of years, uh, Canon, yes. which which is a very inappropriate by today's standards. Very much uh, soldier of fortune book. A lot of nudity. A lot of. Um, no reason new to be too. They'll be like yeah. in the middle of an adventure and be like, oh, there's a new girl we're running by her and then they'll just keep running. A very voluptuous naked girl happens to be in the story. But he was writing it for an adult uh, army. Uh, I believe it was an army comic book of some sort. But yeah, I, I do. I, I find that stuff fascinating. I, I do. I won't deny it. So um, people are, now I know the answer to this question and it is something that's been asked before, but he wants to know if a sequel to Sheriff of Babylon is a possibility. We'll find out in December. Our right, uh, I will write more sheriff when the rights revert back to me. Um, and our right, uh, um, don't tell DC this, but we have a big sort of contract in sometime in December where we'll figure out if the rights revert back to us or not. So we'll okay, find out, find out at Christmas. 
Okay. Oh, this is interesting. Do you look to the Terrifics book for scenes related to Mr. Terrific in Strange Adventures? I, I, I look to it, but for a different reason. I look to the Terrifics book because Doc Shaner drew half of it, and I look to it just for the art inspiration, so more for the other side of the book. Um, no, I, I think that, missed, that that Terrific book is, is brilliant, and my children can't get enough of it, and it's really well-written, and it's really fun. But um, as I did with Adam Strange, with, with um, Mr. Miracle, I, I'm just going back to the central part of the character. So there won't be Mrs. Terrific and there won't be sort of that aspect to him. I want to sort of go back and find sort of the, you know, what he was in the beginning and what he could be today. So I wouldn't say the Terrifics are a huge influence besides the fact that they're beautifully drawn. I thought it was a, a fun series and I love yeah, the great. idea of why don't we have a Fantastic Four, especially during that period when uh you know the 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 fox marvel cinematic universes were definitely walled up and everything prior to disney acquiring fox and uh you know the powers that be at marvel uh were saying and really just uh what's his face i can't even think of his name right now saying i don't want a fantastic four book if we can't make movies no so you know hey guess what we got the uh, characters let's make our own fantastic four i like that idea it's good i was i was at that somewhere Dan, you, and uh Dan and I are friends. I like Dan. I like um, Dan too. Uh, but he's he is a huge fan of Marvel Comics, uh, which is ironic because he was head of DC Comics for 16 years. But just I mean, that's where his heart lies. Is in sort of Marvel. Uh, and so I was at the summit where he's pitched. You know, he's like, or you know, he's just like, I don't like what because at the time Marvel was sort of had gone a little bit off. You know, they, they were having some problems getting traction. And so he's like, we'll do Marvel. We'll do Marvel. So, you know, so he released The Silencer, which was his Punisher book. He released Damage, which was his Hulk book. He wrote, um, what was it, Slider, which was his Spider-Man book. Um, and, uh, and, of course, this was the FF book. So yeah. Dan, Dan launched his own Marvel Comics line secretly in the middle of DC, which I think was which was very fun. I think it was fantastic, man. No, I, and again, I like the idea of the terrifics. It, one of, you know, every now and then, just like at Marvel with the champions, it's like, why is this team like a team? But like terrifics really when you take each character individually, like I don't understand why this is a team. And then you realize, oh my God, he's doing the he's doing the fantastic four. That's amazing. And uh yeah, I love I love the idea. I really did. I, I, you, I can't get enough metamorpho myself. I'm 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 a huge metamorpho fan. Me too. Although hard to write. Although hard to write. I I have no desire to write him because he has his powers are so infinite. It would be hard That's to sort fair. of ra- I, rein I, in. I just like Rex Mason as a guy. Yeah, because he really true. is just an average Joe that got stuck with these powers and is just doing the best he can, you know, being metamorpho and everything. So, you know, uh, oh, that's nice. William Bow writing another Elmer Fudd issue again, please. Quoud, my quoud. Oh, I would love to know. We were weird. We <laughs> we were told. Um, uh, yeah, no, there won't be any. <laughs> won't yeah, be that any. sucks. Anyway. They really didn't. Hanna, the Hanna-Barbera people kind of didn't get it. In terms of what I think the DC guys were doing, and that's a shame. I'm saying this. Don't worry, Tom. I'm saying this. It's it's a shame because yeah, there were some really great ideas. God, Mark Russell's Flintstones, as you know, Chaken, Rough and Ready. Good lord, that was amazing. And they made him rewrite that and uh take out a lot of the dirty stuff he wanted to put into it, which is fine. And that's classic Howard. But truly, what whatever happened and everything, I, I think that's uh that's great. So Get I, out of here, I, I, Dan is watching. Wait a minute, Dan is not watching. There's no way in hell. 
If Dan is watching, that's fantastic. Oh, that's <laughs> well, hi, Dan. You're the. I hope. I hope you know. Well, you have uh, Franco actually uh, contacted Dan on my behalf tonight, and uh, because I re- I would love to talk to Dan. And you should uh, talk to Dan. He knows everything about comics. That guy is the biggest oh, comic fan I know. Dan and I had one of the great word balloons uh, very early on in word balloon, and then he just got busy. And also, maybe he respected. I DC has always been very. Protect, protective of having editors on. And also when Dan was on, he let it be known that they were doing a Batlash book. And I know Levitt's got kind of pissed at him for doing that. Uh, <laughs> so not about a Batlash book. Well, you know, so um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I understood. And truly I, I do. I love Dan. I really, really do. I respect the hell out of him. I was very sad when he got, when he got uh, let go. Um, and, and I would love to talk to Dan because I, I know how much, how passionate he is about comics. He had a great conversation with Art and Franco, just he's sorting out his books and just talking about the comics he loves. And it was literally like right after he got let go. And it was such a great, easy conversation when he was on with the drink and draw guys, Dave Johnson and Dan Pinocchio and Jeff Johnson and all those guys. Fantastic conversation. I saw that he just did a great conversation with Jim McLaughlin. I haven't heard it yet, but I look forward to hearing about it. And uh, no, he's he's great. I love Dan. So Dan says he's got some announcements coming up later this year. So when when he's ready, I'm happy to talk to him, and I look forward to it because truly, the I've only had bar conversations with him at cons in the last ten years, but that's been enough. I love Dan. So there you go. Yeah, I mean, Dan gets a lot of flack because he took a lot of flack for a lot of people. You know, he he said, "All right, let the heat come to me and not to you," which I think yep. is important. And 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 he 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 truly and honestly adores comics. Um, again, like me, like yeah. when he relaxes, he goes to comics. And um, I mean, every con, you, know, you you have your dinner with Dan, and you you do like the first, you know, whatever you got to pitch to him, and all sort of the business part. And you'd get that over with by the time the appetizers wrote. And then when the appetizer wrote, when the app arrived. And then you just fucking talk about Bronze Age Phantom Stranger for two hours. Like it was, I, 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 uh, I miss going to cons and having those moments. He was, he was, it was just fun to talk comics with Dan, just to the passion. Of him. And That's he loves hard. Columbo. Oh, and Dan loves Columbo too. Oh, I didn't know that. How Dan should come on with us and the Benson sisters. Oh, he'll yeah. know. That's one of his. Dan likes to put things on the background while he writes. I, that's, I think it's insane. But he puts like a TV show on in the background while he writes. Hope I'm not giving this away. And one of the things he puts on the background is Columbo. So he just watches them over and over and over and over again. So he would he would throw all of us out the door. One one of the few reasons to get access to Peacock, the Universal streaming channel, they have Columbo up there. I was just telling Franco. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And and everything. Free for Comcast. Yes, it is. Yeah, and you've, if you have if you have Xfinity Comcast, it is it is part of the free package, and it has everything from the seventies through the nineties movies. So it without has all commercial. of um. Well, it depends if you if you want to pay a little more, you get it without commercials. But there are very few commercials, and they're very brief little uh-huh. uh, breaks. So I I don't mind. But uh, yeah, it's uh, no. Well, I I'm telling you, man. So that's hilarious. Did you see someone say that they should replace all the uh, Columbus? Uh, statues with Colombo statues, and I'm, I know. I'm <laughs> as, as a graduate of Columbia College, if they want to call it Colombo College, I am <laughs> I am endorsing my alma mater changing its name to Columbo. This is Colombo. I don't know. She's she's amazing. You know, uh, Jesus, I, I, the best. Although Colombo could have had an African American killer all that goddamn time too. Don't think you're so innocent, Colombo. I'm I'm searching my brain. You're right. I don't think there ever was an African American killer. Wow, there were African American cops. 
Yeah, no black killers. But no black killers. That's very true. That's interesting. Wow. That's a boy. That, you, you stumped me right there for a second. I'm like, I'll be damned, man. So, um, oh, Denny's nice. And he's like, are you going to talk to Chaykin soon? Yeah, absolutely. May, it'll be a few months. I want to give Howard a break. And Howard, man, so many people, and that's why even with Tadio, so many people have like been on uh, other video things since the pandemic hit. And I can appreciate, I know one creator, not Dan, not Howard, is like, God, do I have to do another Zoom talk with somebody? I totally get it. And I'm like, that's the last thing I want to be is the guy that burns these people out. All right, no more interviews. So it's okay. And I mean, again, I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, by the way, all right, Ben S. Ben S. asks. Uh, I was listening to Bendis on your, one of your competitors the other day. And I was like, this is just wrong. Oh, like, this is the wrong voice. Asking no, no, no. Dave, Dave Harper's a good dude. If that's what you're talking about, Dave is a fine. He does a great podcast. I'm glad that uh, he got Brian on. Brian will be back. Brian's Brian. I'm not talking about Brian being burnt out. I'm talking about others. But Brian, I think, just with all the real world shit that's going on, he's just like it's it's just too heavy right now. And I'm like, he okay. also has, he's like me. He has too many children. It is well, and he does have a lot of children. And yeah, I mean, it's ish, you know, I mean, again, I I I respect you guys, and I'm sorry that you have to have tough conversations about the real world because you would think given the, the not to get political again, but really given the things that we grew up and, and endured, and even as white people having, uh, you know, these things happen and being taught what is right and what is wrong, you'd think these lessons would be universal by now. And it's disappointing that they aren't. And thank God there's enough responsible parents out there to have the correct conversation. But that's got to be scary for some kids, and I really do feel for them and stuff. Yes, Denny, Sketch is a great co- uh, podcast. I completely agree. Sketched, Yes. So yes, David Harper. There you go. There's a little commercial for your for your podcast, and that's okay. It's a great oh, show. Let's do it. Throw it away. Delete it from your app. <laughs> Don't give me enough content. Not at all. Not at all. Um, so anyway, I but I was uh, Ben S asked. Uh, it, it'll be great to talk to Wade. Yeah, Mark is coming up. Uh, Mark is another guy that's done a lot of videos, and is just like, ah, can we wait uh, just like a month? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, plenty of time, man. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to keep doing these. I might be, I may not be doing these with as much frequency whenever we get back to the new normal. Um, but I will, I, I will like video is going to be a part of word balloon. I think moving forward, regardless. Okay. So as long as people are willing, some people don't want to do video and I understand that. In fact, I know I had to shave my neck. It was so hard to put on. A see, hat. well, you see my hair is all <laughs> insane. So we're getting oh, there. Hair is insane. Rub it in. Rub it in that you have hair, you manly oh, man. It's all I right. Get it. uh, I would love to talk to Frank Miller. That would be great. Uh, oh, here's something interesting, Nick Darrington. We need an Atomic Night books from Tom King, perhaps drawn by Nick Darrington. Uh, uh, I would love to, but if I, I mean Nick, I would do anything for Nick to work with Nick. So yes, anything I would say yes. He wants to do um, Brother Power, the Geek, the worst superhero of all time. Oh, that'd be hilarious. Uh, but uh, if I had to do just between you and me if i had to do a, a atomic nights book i would love to do with tom fowler who i came into the industry with i'd love to see the monsters he would draw i've been thinking about a tom fowler atomic nights book for six years now i think oh that's awesome that'd be great to see you guys work on that that'd I, be I amazing i have an original atomic nights page up there on my wall probably can't see it but it's way up there because i love that series so much who uh, who drew that page for you anderson drew all the atomic nights. it was murphy anderson okay because I get that confused with Tommy Tomorrow because wasn't Kurt Swan a Tommy Tomorrow artist? 
Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I mean, Swan and Anderson. Right. Swanderson. Yeah, it became like a ten-year team. Where they oh yeah, oh yeah. I have yeah. I have one original Superman page of Kurt Swan arc it, art. It's a Lois and Clark page, and Tex Blaisdell inked it. Ah, he's a much different artist when Murphy's not on him. I think Murphy cleans him up so much. It's it's very different. No, I agree with that absolutely. Um, oh, and you know, uh, uh, now Henry asks, uh, "What were your favorite comics you collected when you were a kid?" I'm going to add to that. Someone earlier asked. What was the first comic book that really blew your mind? Uh, I was a Marvel zombie as a kid. Not to say I didn't collect DC, um, but I was very much, I thought Marvel was the cool one. And um, but and I was an Avengers guy as opposed to an X-Men guy. That was the big divide when I was a kid. Because I, I, when I was a kid, X-Men were cool. Anything that was cool, I was afraid of. <laughs> so I became... <laughs> I became because you know this is like the Jim Lee era, so I, I became more of an more of an Avengers guy. Yeah, so I my favorite comics as a kid, um, especially the the Tom Palmer Avengers was like my bag. I got every single issue of it and couldn't get cool. enough of it. Um, but I, I would go through phases, man, where I'd be like, man, I love Defenders this week, and I'm gonna just collect all the Defenders I can. Um, or uh, I love Fantastic Four now, and I'm gonna collect. Or I love John Byrne and anything John Byrne does, and and I would even do it DC with with Superman. And I was a big Flash guy, the Wally West Flash. I'm gonna talk about it a lot, especially the um, the pre Wade stuff. The Wade stuff's good, but the the might the Messner Love Baron stuff, the sort of earlier um, that that's my jam there. That stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I read I read anything and everything. I I started off on like a lot of people do on a comic rack in the local bookstore, which is actually secretly a video store, which is actually secretly a porn store. Um, uh, and just, just, and, and you would just, whatever was there, you would buy you, who knew it, it would arrive and in what order. And so like, I remember getting like the dead shot series off that rack and, and, and a lot, of, I came in an inferno. So I was trying to collect all the inferno issues. I love that. Um, and then I evolved from that to going to my first comic book store, which, um, was called Graffiti. Later became Comics Inc. for LA people um, uh, over in Culver City. And I would take my, at the age of 10, which boggles my mind, I would take my scooter because I didn't know how to ride a bike, getting raised without a dad. And I would scooter through the streets of LA five miles to the comic book store and back. Wow. Um, and, uh, and that was, a comic book store was like the greatest joy in the world back then. Oh, God, yeah, man. No, I'm with you. Uh, we had a great, uh, store. That, yeah, I read Rom Space Night. Where the shit out of that Rom Space Night. There you go. Absolutely. Um, we had a store in Skokie, right by the L, called the News Depot, and it was a it was a magazine and a newspaper stand in the front, and then they had uh, Silver Age comics in the back, sixties mostly. You know, sixties twelve cent comics. And oh my god, I just like you were saying about your scooter. I used to ride my bicycle, and it was at least five miles you know, to go there and everything. And it was such a joy to pick up 80 page giants and stuff like that uh, from this store and a bunch of 12 cent comics. I, I always got some really cool stuff. So. I had, I had a routine that I would, I would read. And it's funny because I would read, first thing I would do is I'd get my comics when I got home and I would flip through them, not to read the words. So I already knew the spoilers. I knew what happened at the end. Then I would read them slowly on Sunday. Then I would read them again Monday. And then again, Thursday, I'd read each comic three times throughout the week. And then in between, I'd be reading my – then through that, I learned comics back and forth. Um, <laughs> I'm a fan. I was a fucking nerd. I loved it. Oh, it's the best. Oh, here's a good question. What, what was your writing process when writing the Batman versus reverse reverse fat flash fight in issue 21? Counting the seconds for each panel must have been a challenge. It was a challenge. 
that was uh, I I think that was Jeff Johns's idea not to do a clock, but he's like, let's do some sort of countdown. And then the clock idea flashed through my head. And the idea that Flash would say to Batman, I'll be there in one minute. And as soon as he says it, 60 seconds appears on. Uh, I think it was I watched too much 24 in my youth where you watch the game. <laughs> uh, and, and then you just, and it was so much fun because you can play with. And that way, I, I figure out you could play with time that way. So that like, if I wanted Flash to be faster, I just put, you know, I would repeat the seconds. So he's going so fast, it's going, it's not even the seconds aren't attaching. Um and it was it was it was kind of I had to get out of my notebook because I knew I had six because I had there there are more than sixty panels, um, and I have said sixty seconds, so I had to figure out I, I needed panels that repeated themselves so that I hit zero at exactly the right point. And of course, the joke of the thing is Flash is one second late because you know Barry Allen's always late. So Batman, and but uh, yeah, it's one of my favorite lines I ever wrote when um, when when Reverse Flash says to Batman, you know, and you, this has been going on for fifty panels or whatever, and he's, he's and, he, and he's like. Um, Reverse Flash is like you can't beat me. He's like I don't need to beat you. I just need eleven seconds. And, like the fact that Batman had been counting in his mind, so he knew exactly how many seconds he had left. I think it's cool. That's awesome. Yeah, that was a very fun. And, and Jason Fabok drew the fuck out of him. yeah. That was yeah. He was really good. Not Again, Fabok took off. I mean, he's we won an Eisner together and stuff. So um, he's got this three Jokers thing coming up. I, I love that. Very excited about that. Talk to Jeff Johns about that and uh, really looking forward to it. And the philosophy they have behind the story, I think is really interesting. Uh, William Boas, would you ever write for Chris Somney if given the chance? Boy, I'd love to see you guys work together. Yeah. Another fucking writer who writes for himself now. Uh, <laughs> Somney, like you, I, I met you guys at the beginning of your careers and it's been wonderful watching you guys become the superstars that you are. And I'm very proud to say, I'm looking at it right now. People can't see it because it's behind my camera. Uh, I've got two great sci-fi uh, kind of superhero-esque uh, s- sketches. One on top is Gabe Hardman uh, doing a Captain Comet, a very 50s Captain Comet that I love. And right underneath it, I've got a Somni Dan Dare that oh, is wow. just uh, the British Flash Gordon for I people who don't know who he is. But uh, yeah, it's it's such a great scene, and it was something Garth that Ennis did a great Dan Dare book for people who just want an introduction to Dan Dare. There's a great Garth Ennis Dan Dare graphic novel. I completely agree. No, he's a he's a great character, and there's even great radio dramas that the BBC has done over the years of Dan Dare. They they uh, really, I mean, they've treated Dan Dare a lot better than Flash Gordon. I think has been treated quite frankly in the <laughs> uh, in the last forty years. I mean, the De Laurentiis movie is fun. But I, I'm kind of with Al Williamson in terms of, oh, man, it should have been so much better. Actually, you know what I really love? The Filmation TV, the original Flash Gordon TV series that really took, like, the serial and, you know, kind of adapted yeah. it as a cartoon. And it's very faithful to the original serials and stuff like that and the original comic stories, for that matter. Um, and for its limited animation, I thought they did a great job with that series. I read a ton of Flash Gordon for Strange Adventures, the, the original Alex Raymond stuff. Um, and fascinating, beautiful. I mean, it couldn't be oh, prettier. Gorgeous. And yeah. you can you can see Alex Raymond started. It's funny the comics sort of split in half along, you know, the Alex Raymond school and the the Kniff school, and almost like right from the beginning, it was like we were sort of born out of those two minds. Um, and uh, and I'm I'm thoroughly in the Raymond school, you know, um, and yeah, I mean, but it's funny because I was trying to put a picture on my, I was trying to 
I like to cut out comic strips and put them on my wall. And I was trying to find one. And I couldn't find one that was appropriate because they all had mostly naked women in them, which is amazing for the 1920s, stuff you couldn't put in comics for 40 years. Those comics were, I was like, oh, I can't put any of this on the wall because he was just, every issue, he'd draw a half-naked woman just in, in the middle of your Sunday newspaper in Christian America in 1923. <laughs> You're not wrong. Uh, I'll, I'll take this question from Mario. What happened to the Stargirl recaps? Uh, every intention yeah. of continuing Blacker. those. Blacker. Uh, unfortunately, Jeff has gotten busy. So we, we pre-recorded those first three that we did. And we have every intention of getting back to them. It's just a matter of Jeff's schedule. Uh, he was incredibly enthusiastic about doing them. But uh, again, as I always like to say, when you've got a, your choice of either making the donuts or talking about making the donuts, I'd rather you make the donuts. So it's okay. I'm glad that Jeff is busy doing whatever he is doing, but he'll come back and we'll, we'll do more. And we'll, it's a, it's a great series. Uh, he gave me full access to the entire series and I look forward to talking to him more about it. But uh, so unfortunately it's no longer weekly, but uh, they'll be coming up. So it's cool. Oh, and Andy Conley would like to know uh, if you'd be willing to come uh, to uh, Ireland uh, and depending on your schedule, would you come for a signing? I know he did that. That's a uh, heroes and villain. I've, yes, they're a very nice store that um Northern Ireland. Would I be willing? Yes, dude, I will go to any store. I'm gonna do a goddamn tour of the country when this vaccine comes out. I'm gonna go to every fucking con, every fucking store, and just thank people for making it through. Um, yes, I, I I would I would love to. I don't think I, I in my heart I don't think there is gonna be a signing of comics until there's a vaccine. So I think we're like a year and a half away. Yeah, I kind of agree with you, man. I guess. What pushes you out of a writer's block? Asked William Bo. Um, uh, deadlines push me out. Uh, yeah, it's funny. I I just had to push myself out of out of a writer's block today. So can I tell you how I did it? This Please. Is a, is a, I I didn't. Um, uh, so I had to switch from comics. I've been so enjoying writing comics lately. I didn't want to work on the movie, and I could sort of feel myself pushing it back and pushing it back. And, uh, but I had some movie stuff I had to work on and I was like, Tom, you have to do it. You have to do it. And so I literally was like, um, I was like, Tom, if you sit down and fucking write a scene today, I'll let you buy a piece of art at the end of the week. <laughs> Guilt free. You can spend some money on it and buy yourself a piece of art. That's good. And, uh, and I, I sat down and I, and I started writing, and when I when I couldn't think of what to write next, I went on, you know, comic art fan. I looked for the piece of art I wanted. I was like, oh, that's the one. Okay, okay, keep back, get back. And, and so I, I literally I put like a literal carrot in front of myself to keep walking forward, and it worked. I wrote two scenes today that I loved, and I'm going to write tomorrow. Now I have momentum. So sometimes just like give yourself something nice, give yourself a reward, you know, because you know the the reward of writing is so far off in the future. People be like, all right, this, you know, like, and it could be anything. Just do something you like. Oh, this week I'm not gonna, or um, uh, I'll give my. I'm on a diet, but I'll have a you know a chocolate Sunday on. I'll a guilt-free chocolate Sunday if yep. I write this week. You know, it doesn't have to be a fucking thousand dollar piece of art, but yeah, just put an incentive in front of you, something like that. That's cool. You know, I know uh, Bendis will like bike ride to kind of free up his mind and let ideas seep in. What do you do to? Because and also I've, I've I remember hearing um, uh, uh, Nichols and May, uh, Mike Nichols say the same thing that you need to get your brain to relax, to allow ideas to come in. And, and, yeah. and I, it's tough to get to that state. I, I say that from my own experience. Um, so yeah. And again, I know Brian would, would bike ride and that would kind of help him relax. 
and let ideas come to them and stuff. Do you have a do you have a, a thing that you do to help you relax and? I, I take magical showers. I know that's the most boring. Answer I was gonna. Uh, it doesn't yeah. surprise me. People have said that as well. Go on. The, the, the most useful t- writing tool I have in my house is the fact that I have a wonderful, very strong hot shower. Um, and uh, and if you go into you know, I, my tour, my bathroom, I have you know comic book posters old. So I, you walk through sort of a comic book gauntlet to get to the shower. And uh, and it's funny because I'll be in the, the ideas always occur to me in like I'll be sitting there like thinking thinking th- thinking and then I'll I have nothing and then it's when I get out of the shower like getting my towel like that one second an idea will always pop in my head of how to yeah so I, I do showers are very effective for me and I, that's a, the cliche that everyone uses but for me it's it's always proven to be good if I'm having to pitch something if I'm like I need to pitch a new series I go. F- for a walk with my dog. Usually when I walk, I do podcasts with my dog. I walk around the Capitol every day. Um, usually oh, a, lot John, a lot of John Suntra's podcasts. And well, that's that's great. But I'm walking around the Capitol. I, I know that walk. So that's amazing. That's Yeah, perfect. it's a beautiful walk. Um, and uh, But if I have a pitch where I have to come up with an idea, I will, I'll will i put on um, music. Usually it's like alternative rock from the, from the aughts. Um, and uh, or mixed with some like Bob Dylan stuff. And I'll let my mind wander until it finds, you know, it finds the idea. Yeah. The hardest part about it is like you have to find an idea that's good, but not too good. If it's too good, someone else had had it. So that's that wonderful magic spot of that kind of thing. Yeah. I understand. I, I steal from old movies a lot. That's that's another thing. Steve. There's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of great uh, writers that are good springboards to uh, to come up with your own stories. Here's a good question: uh, Is it true you didn't start writing until you were in the CIA? What motivated you to start? Yeah, that's true. I didn't start writing till I was, uh, I mean, I joined the CIA when I was 22, so I was pretty young. Uh, um, but yeah, I didn't start writing till I was, um, let's say my son was born. So I was like 20, 30 probably when I first started writing. Uh, what motivated me to start was, I, it was something I always wanted to do. Um, I always wanted to be a writer since I was a little kid. My father was a failed writer. I mean, this is a sort of a deeper psychological issue, but uh, my father was sort of always one of the kind of guys who want, always wanted to write the great American novel and that could never get past, you know, the first chapter. And so he like worked in bookstores and eventually became a, uh, a high school. And like I said, he, he kind of walked out on the family. And, and so my mother was very much like, don't become a writer because of that experience. Because, wow. Because, and, and she was in the entertainment industry. She didn't, she didn't just didn't think it was worth um and my brother is a musician. He's we already had the creative person. My what does your brother play? He's he's um, since my brother found uh, Jesus, um, and he, and he and he works for a church in North Carolina. So he sort of abandoned his ambitions to be a musician. He does oh, he, wow. did, he does music design for a church. So he does like their online music and and okay. So I got, um, you know I have I have uh, DJ friends that got very involved in Christian rock. And, yeah, and I stay in touch with them and stuff. And it's and I'm glad that they found a way to still pursue what they wanted to do while they also found God. Yeah. So that's if you want to see, my brother is an odd duck. If he's he's got a YouTube page called Tuba Dylan. He's a, he was a tuba player. And he, oh, wow. he he reviews tubas on YouTube. So you can go see that's them. amazing. If you type in tuba Dylan in YouTube, you'll see a bunch of my brother's reviews of reviewing uh, tubas. Wow. Uh and uh, so, yeah, so we already had it. So he was the artist and my father was sort of a failed artist. So my mother was like, you're a doctor or a lawyer. So I, 
I sort of had to put that ambition to the side, but I always want, and I was good at writing as a kid. Like that was like, you know, that thing all my teachers said, you're a good writer. And you, the reason I was a good writer was because I was cheating because all my, all, all my friends who were, or anyone in the class who was trying to write, they were reading like little books and, and I was reading comic books and comic books were written so much more. You know, I was a 10 and I was reading Dark Knight Returns. And I was like, oh, I see, like, I see how Frank Miller's using this repeat dialogue here and there. If I, you can, so I had all these tricks from comics they didn't know I was using, so it was a cheat. <laughs> Uh, that's outstanding. That's so, great. Uh, yeah. So, um, but yeah, I didn't start till I was in the, um, in the CIA and I, I wrote a, um, I wrote, a, I wrote a novel cause I was in, I was on the Afghan Pakistan border and, uh, yeah. and, um, I literally, you know, you were, you're stuck in a house just almost like this pandemic now. Um, because if we went out of the house, you'd kind of be killed. Um, and we were there to sort of catch terrorists. So we could leave the house to catch terrorists, but that was the only reason. Um, so when you're in that atmosphere, there's a lot of downtime. A lot of is a lot of that is just sort of surviving the in, insanity of being in a hard place. Um, and when you have a lot of downtime, I was looking for something to do. So I started writing and I wrote a novel, which was terrible, but it was the first thing I just started writing, you know? And so that was just sort of something to like the pandemic was something to pass the time, you know? Okay. So that, that's, that's how it started yeah, in the CIA. All right, Tom. It's after one, and yeah, I say we kind should of actually boring. go. Actually go. My yeah, boy. I was going to say, buddy, you're, you're awesome for doing this. And also, again, we're going to talk in two days, guys, with <laughs> uh, with Evan and and Mitch as well. So the entire Strange Adventures team will be uh, joining me on a Word Balloon Live on Wednesday. So uh, and they'll they'll all take questions, and I, I look forward to it. We were all together at C two E two. I got to use I got to use that picture of all of us with Cully and my buddy Jeff from oh. uh, Mil- from Miller's Pub. That great, last, the great meal that we had. Last rest was it? The, no, no, I went to one in New York. That was my second to last restaurant I ever went to in my whole life. Okay, <laughs> Jeff still is so thrilled to, to meet you guys, and is like, "How are they doing? Are they doing?" Right? I'm like, "They're doing fine, man." I'm like, "I'll let them know that you that you said hello." So there you go, Jeff. I'm letting the guys know, uh, and I'll tell them on Wednesday as well. I'm sure he'll chime in on the uh, on the chat and stuff like that. Let's um, yeah, let's wrap it here. And I'll thank you for for coming on. And thank you, everybody. It was a great conversation. Everybody pitched in. Tremendous uh, response. Even a couple people on Twitch, which is my smallest platform. But I'm glad. I'm I'm, I'm trying to build back the Twitch audience. But thank you, YouTubers. Thank you, Facebook people. Thank you, uh, Periscope people via Twitter that all chimed in and watched. And uh, our celebrity uh, watchers as well, whether it was Dean Haspiel and Nick Darrington or uh, Mitch himself. You know, so... uh, we did good tonight. And maybe Dan DiDio was watching. I don't know. I'll find out when I uh, check my talk back. Yeah, I was watching. Don't forget, my comics, buy my comics, wonderful. But go to John's Patreon, pitch in a little bit. John has put in the hard work, and he, he deserves your support. I support him through that way, and and, and so should you. And, uh, and, and I'm giving you some guilt because he won't give it to you. You've just gotten so much fucking free content. You should, you should you be – this is better than Netflix, people. It's better. Trust me. I've seen the shows. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. A comic book is $4. You pick that up without a thought. You can give $4 to John. I'll take it. No, I appreciate the plug, man. Good night, Nick. Thanks for watching. Good seeing you. Good seeing everybody. Uh, Thanks, buddy. Take it easy. And uh, really, I appreciate you uh, coming on. And and we'll talk more on Wednesday and uh, hit things that we didn't uh, cover uh, tonight. But thank you. Thank you, sir. Have a good one. You too. So there you go, Tom King. Uh, Don't forget... On Wednesday night, I'll have a new Strange Adventures conversation with Tom and uh, Mitch Garretts and Doc Shaner, all three of the creators behind Strange Adventures, to talk about Adam Strange, Mr. Terrific, 
their thoughts on the series and characters, and as much as they can reveal only two issues in to this uh, 12-issue maxi-series that they are very responsible for. So far, very interesting stuff. And I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Tom, all brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you greatly, League, once again for your support via Patreon, patreon.com slash wordballoon. And thank you, Aftershock Comics, Aftershock uh, hitting stores Wednesday with SOS, Save Our Shops, a David Mack cover, uh, terrific stories from among uh, your favorite creators, people like Jerry Ordway and Colin Bunn and Stephanie Phillips and Zach Thompson, uh, among others. Great stuff, uh, an anthology of stories talking about the importance of comic shops to our hobby. And uh, it's a very cool uh, book, and I uh, look forward to uh, talking to Joe and maybe some other Aftershock creators about the project in the days and weeks ahead. But in the meantime, uh, check it out for yourself. It'll be uh, available at your shops uh, tomorrow. If you don't see it at your shop, make sure your local shop contacts Aftershock if you're interested in uh, getting the book and uh, they will get it to you. Uh, go to their website for more information, aftershockcomics.com. Thanks again for... Uh, <laughs> thanks again. All right, once again, talking way too early in the morning for me when my uh, brain and mouth are not working together but are slowly negotiating as we speak to you. Coming up tonight, another Word Balloon Live. Man, I am happy to finally, face-to-face, have a conversation with Brian Edward Hill, who has been killing it on a lot of great Vertigo and DC books, and also uh, doing uh, Angel uh, Year One, Year Zero, when you think about it. It's a pre-Buffy Angel conversation or uh, stories that Brian has been doing as well for Boom, since they got uh, the uh, Whedon licenses to Buffy and Angel. Uh, lots of interesting stuff to talk about with Brian Edward Hill tonight on A Word Balloon Live. I hope you'll join us. It's going to be a very fun conversation. And in the days ahead, again, that Strange Adventures conversation coming to you on A Word Balloon Live on Wednesday night. And also excited about a conversation I'm going to have pre-recorded, but it'll be coming up uh, in the days ahead with James Tucker, the great DC animator. James is a little camera shy. That's the only reason why he's not doing a video with us, but that's okay. I'm, I'm happy to have a great conversation with James. Lots of great DC animation products have been coming out uh, in the uh, ensuing months since the last time James and I spoke, and we'll be talking about those. And uh, also just a lot of other inf- interesting ideas from James Tucker. I'll see if I can uh, wrangle up a Q&A for James. Uh, to affirm you guys in uh, preparation of uh, our conversation that we're going to have on Friday afternoon. Thanks a lot for watching and listening to Word Balloon. Thanks a lot for supporting the YouTube channel and when I do Word Balloon live on video as well. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions. Copyright 2020. Stay safe. Stay happy. Stay healthy.